and they put all these chimps there. So it, it's a chimp island. It's like a sanctuary. Well, they started a civilization them. now. Pretty and much. They're taking they, over. They have a president, <laughs> and they have a whole shadow up. government. They, which they if they're demanding UN If FEMA takes over in a crisis, you can bet that the chimpanzees will lead our government. Damn you. Damn you, Walter. Hell. <laughs> all right. Should we, get, should we get rolling? That was a great place. I can talk about dogs all night. So. <laughs> you can if you want. No. It's the Sadie Valeri suggested donation. You have to be in the right place. Yeah, with him. Well, there are pros and cons to having a studio dog because yesterday somebody showed up, didn't tell me before that they're showing up with a service dog. Mm. And my dog is extremely dog aggressive. So my dog attacked their service dog. Oh, man. So this young German shepherd who's being trained to be a service dog walks in with his little harness on. and All happy, like, hey, guys. Perfect, like, orange harness. Buddy, I'm just trying to do my job here. No need for any trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm trying to help this guy walk through life. That's all. Excuse me, this isn't isn't part of the union. (laughs) Service I have dog. this like slow motion replay of it in my memory. It's like one of those oh, really no. traumatic. Your dog's running moments. up like your my dog looks is like stupid. this black streak, and my dog can turn it on. She looks like a demon when she's mad because she's got white flashing teeth, and her hackles get up, and she does this thing where she crouches really low and barks like from underneath, like she looks like a demon, like she's just gonna kill somebody. So it terrified everybody. Everybody was freaking out. The lady who oh, had no. the dog started screaming. Oh, my God. And I'm like trying to grab my dog, and everybody's trying to grab the dogs and separate them. They start chasing each other through the whole studio. It took us and not having minutes. fun. It wasn't like we're having no, fun. No, it wasn't this like happy fun life. dog time. This is like we're gonna, no no biting. I mean, like it looks like they're biting, but I've learned from seeing many dog fights now. They they're mostly dominating. So right. she's kind of going. Like just barely. air biting or air biting, but it looks bad because she's yeah. at the throat. Yeah, but she doesn't learn her lesson because she did that a few years ago to a right. Staffordshire uh, a big hey. huge pit bull, and it's a little punk yeah. rock street dog. And now we're gonna have a sign in the door that says "Beware, <laughs> Beware of Studio aggressive Dogs, studio Aggressive dogs. Studio." I've dog. had the sign up on and off, but people think that it, it makes her sound more scary than she is. <laughs> so that was an interesting. I'm still kind of like coming down from the adrenaline of that, and then I had to demo. So right I, out, I, your hands I had, shaking. I had, and yeah, hands are shaking. I had class coming in. I had an ala prima. I mean, painting ala prima <laughs> in front of people is hard enough, it's hard right? Enough, yeah. Everybody in the studio has just witnessed this huge incident with the dogs. Everybody's fine. Like, nobody got hurt or anything like that. None of the dogs got hurt. But I'm like... Okay, guys, I'm going to need um, one minute, but why don't you start loading up your palettes, and um, here's the handout of the order of the colors. And you, go around the cor- you go around the corner and just cry just a little deep bit. Deep breath, deep breath, deep breath. I went in the bathroom with my dog and just, like, pet her yeah. for a while. I hadn't planned to do a color lecture. I was just going to start doing an underpainting. And so, of course, they're asking me, like, well, why do you have magenta instead of cad? And so I'm going through this whole thing about why I use a cool red. So I'm like, well, while we're at it, why don't we just show you? Okay, you mix this and this. It makes a nice orange. You mix magenta and blue. It makes a nice purple. And, um, you know, we'll do the same thing with the cads, and we'll see how ugly the purple is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and all of a sudden, everybody's, like, actually focused on color mixing. And in my head, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with color. <laughs> so zen. Keep it so together, I, Sadie. I ended, Keep yeah, it together. I, was, I actually, I had two students email me that night and go, like, you handled that like a zen master. I was like, <laughs> 
mixing the color. It's like butter. It's so pretty. <laughs> Let's just think about the. You're putting relaxing words. Yeah. You should have like spa music on yeah. in the background. Yeah. And meanwhile, everything is like crimson and blood red. <laughs> it's, 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 fear. It's, it's, you paint with fear. Exactly. You're painting with fear and anger. You just get so much out of that. Seriously, my students love my dogs. Everybody's like. Is she okay? And dogs recuperate fast. So she's like, hi, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because if I was ever attacked on the street for years, I'd be like waking up like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's wrong with humanity? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs process adrenaline in a totally different way. Yeah. Three minutes, it's gone. And then they're good to go. And they're like, what are we doing now? Can I play this ball? <laughs> <laughs> but frisbee, you got frisbee. Oh, Squirrel, <laughs> where? Yeah. Squirrel. Squirrel, exactly. Well, if you didn't know by now, we have Sadie Valeri here. Welcome to Suggested Donations. I am Tony Serenai. I am Edward Minoff. Jay Braun in the back. Jay Braun, bro. We have Sadie Valeri here, straight from San Francisco. Right off a pl- Fresh off a plane. Fresh off a plane. Right, right off the plane. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Ted also threw out his back. Great. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about that. Do you have back problems from painting? Do, well, you know what? First question, do you get back problems from painting? I, uh, I, I tend to come across a bunch of people who are painters. and Yeah, I, I, I can tell it's going to come. I've started doing yoga you know to avoid the issues in the future <laughs> yeah. but yeah between the the rhomboids and the sacrum it's just a mess so yeah um i i have a high stool so i stand up when my when my neck hurts and yeah. i sit down when my lower back hurts so i just alternate between the two pains you prefer to um, be sitting when you're painting or? i do i'm pretty lazy oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get your feet up <laughs> Yeah, actually, the other day I was sitting with my feet propped up on the stand, with the with because I was just doing really casual painting at the studio, and there's students milling around, and I, it was just really comfortable to stick my feet up on the sand, the same stand that my still life was on. <laughs> that and I was like, nice. this is really comfortable. Occasionally, you find that spot where you're like, I can't believe this is work. I, I know, I know, I know. Do you remember we had so. a friend who was painting in a lazy boy, like a lazy kicked boy. back with his up. legs up? Yeah, and I actually did. He actually extend his brushes so he didn't have to like lean I think in he it. did yeah he might have even extended he was them. the laziest painter so ever. he can actually lay back and paint in a comfy laid back position i'm gonna do that <laughs> i'm seriously at the time we're like oh what are you doing now i'm kind of like you kind of had it right <laughs> i bet his back doesn't hurt you sure and did does? you say you were doing this in front of students yeah, they were very impressed. That was a demo. I was actually making a nice little painting. Well, the way I teach is uh, I, I have students who essentially come in a couple of days a week and to a reserve spot in the room. And um, so there's kind of just always people around working, even if it's not actively a class. So I'm available. My assistants are available. We kind of make the rounds. But often I'll set up a little project on the side, so I'll just be doing something. And so um, it's not my studio where... <clears throat> it's not my studio where I do my personal work. That's mm-hmm. separate. But is it I'll, in the same building? Uh, my actually, there. It's in the old building that I just moved out of. My mm-hmm. personal studio is in my old building that I just moved out of, which is a mile down the road. Um, so I had moved into a studio where it was all one big room, and then my personal studio was a little 150 square foot um, space in the corner, built into the corner with walls. 
And that was great when we first moved into the studio when most of the time there weren't any classes going on. Yeah. But after two and a half years there, we had three classes, morning, afternoon, evening, seven days a week. Well, not Friday night and Saturday night, but every other time slot. And so I was walking through classes, whether I was teaching them or right. somebody else was teaching them all the time. And it was Disturbing. kind of a goldfish bowl, you know, windows and stuff. Yeah. And so everyone's like, I don't mean to bother you, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm learning as a teacher to be pretty strict and have boundaries. But when you're painting, you're like kind of softened, you know, like yeah. I have my teaching mode and then I have my painting mode and they're really different modes. So when I'm painting, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. You can come in and we'll talk about yeah. and cry i've had so many people come in and cry, and cry. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing i never realized it, it, not part-timers full-timers yeah, full-timers just cry crying <laughs> about like their future and prospects and um, like their ability to do what they want to do or no this week they're crying about today because uh they're most of them you know they're in the studio as many possible hours as they possibly can and then most of them have full-time or part-time jobs in addition to that yeah. and most of them are still starving right or living at home or well something. get used to it kids exactly <laughs> so they get really overwhelmed so i have somebody crying about once a week <laughs> i guess it's like exhaustion probably so i mean like, from wow, working like, and studying the yeah, whole time like you don't necessarily maybe have... once a week is a little bit of an exaggeration but it felt like that and now in my in the new studio that we just moved into i don't have my own private space which was purposeful but we don't have anywhere to cry so there's a lot less crying <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't have the crying closet so no crying zone it, it's not it might be because i'm a female teacher but it's men and women crying in there so <laughs> the tough days are the days that you actually want to be crying. <laughs> yeah, no, I was about to, I was about to say like yeah. there are times when you want to tell them like I felt like that yesterday. What I what I tell all my students all the time, especially because we have such a big range. We have you know beginners coming in that are just part time, and then we have um, you know small, very small core group of full time students who've been there for several years and they're doing much higher level work. And so, especially the beginners think like one day I won't feel this frustrated and overwhelmed. <laughs> and so I've always been telling my students, you know, you just get better at managing it. You yeah. still feel pretty right. bad all yeah. the time, but you just get better at, at handling it and just accepting, like, well, you kind of have to be raw and uncomfortable to be a painter. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you, but you just go, oh, this is the part of the painting when I get really depressed. <laughs> and, and, and and I know if I just keep doing what I did last time, Do you eventually. think it's necessary? <laughs> like, I, there must have, there have to have been artists in the past. I, I mean, a few names probably come to mind, but who just don't feel incredibly confident and proud of themselves. And You know, I, I, I it's interesting because I, I think about that question a lot because I've never been a really confident person and I've always been full of self-doubt and all that kind of stuff. And I look around at other painters and especially painters that I admire before I met them and they just look so <laughs> like, oh, they're in the magazines and all right. that. And then once I started meeting all these yeah. They're all painters, insecure. Everybody's everyone. like, you know, I, I, I mean... Bag of nerves. I mean, literally, like... like you know, I don't know. Somebody will be just my, I'm not going to name names, but yeah. like my long term hero, and I'll be meeting him at a conference and we'll be sitting at the bar talking, and he'll pull out his latest painting and show me on his phone, and, and I'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting to see this in process. This is amazing. Be like, he's just like, I'm, I think I might give up painting. I'm just really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? 
I'm like, oh my god, this person is showing me his impressive. That's painting. sometimes even more shattering when you realize somebody you admire so much. Like you're like, well, Jesus, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it grounds it too. It does. Where it's like, oh, and and when you start researching and reading and reading um, some of the, uh, the the old masters, you start. They had all these crazy, weird issues. With in courts yeah, and everything. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it changed my life to hear that Sargent would, like, give up on paintings and wipe out faces. You know, I didn't, I didn't did know any constantly. of that. And that he would just go through this agonizing process because it looks so effortless the way he does it. So I, that changed my life, you know, just to know <laughs> that. Um, I read the book Art and Fear, and that was the very first time I ever knew that anybody else... What, like what have you ever read that book? No, what is that? Oh, that's a really life-changing book. I read that book maybe in 02 or 03. And um, I, I went through about a 10-year artist block where I didn't make any art at all. Wow. And, and, and uh, pulled myself out of that, out of just desperation. Mm-hmm. Because you can't live like that if you've been a painter. <laughs> right. you, if you try and stop painting, it'll haunt you. So um, so that was a really pivotal book for me. But it was the first time I ever heard that artists were secretly worried that other people were real artists and they weren't real artists. And I was like, I thought I was the only one who thought <laughs> Now I know. It. So, Every single one of us. Oh, I know, that. exactly. And my students are so relieved. I teach all my classes with that method. I, I, we, we sort of joke around and go, okay, um, or if you want me to come and talk to you, I'll come over and talk to you. And if you're secretly hoping and terrified that I come over and talk to you I'll also come over and talk to you <laughs> and uh, if you're panicking you don't have to announce it to the room but you can come up to me and say I, I'm panicking and I spent years and years in classrooms panicking thinking everybody else was very casually working with their headphones on you know and um, maybe they were I don't know but it doesn't help me to believe that they all were <laughs> so I just gotta believe what helps me get through the day well, so Start from the beginning. Yeah. Where, where you're originally from Massachusetts, from Salem. Yep. I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts. and um, Are you a witch? <laughs> Do you know any You're witches? not the first person who's asked me. I know. <laughs> I, I take the low-hanging fruit. I'm going to kill you, Tony. I take the low-hanging fruit. Tony, I'm going to kill you. You don't like that spot? And you what you do with the accent? Yeah. With your witchcraft. Well, the, not having an accent is um, probably good now, but it was a serious detriment when I was about 10, 11, and 12. Because Did you have a, like, all a the kids made fun of you accent? for yeah, speaking because funny? Yeah, if you grew up, I mean, um, Salem has even a stronger access than, accent than most of Boston because it's still a really working class town, yeah. and um, multi-generations of, of people have lived there. My mom is from Minnesota. My dad's from the South. My wow, dad. there's accents all over That's, the place. Yeah, <laughs> wow. My mom has a little bit of a Fargo-esque thing going on, but my dad oh, actually you know. eradicated his southern accent because he, he sounds like a newscaster because he discovered that when he moved to places other than the South that everybody thought he was stupid, and he has a master's in chemistry, and he's got sick of people talking to him yeah. like he was a hit. I know, I know a few people from the South who said the same thing. They were like, I got rid of my accent yep. for work. Yep, yeah. exactly. He actually went to high school with Judy Woodruff, so I think they were Ooh. all watching the newscast. And she shed her accent. <laughs> she sure did. So I didn't have, I mean, I had the same accent I have now, which is like generic America or something. Yeah. And uh, and so, but, and I also like to read a lot, and I was also really quiet. So, and then every time I opened my mouth, I sound like I was speaking, you know, like British English to them or something like that. Like I was trying to sound high class. And so they my sister and I. You at the stake he, oh yeah, the <laughs> they did actually. Sadie thinks she's so <laughs> fancy. Exactly. 
So I was, I was, you know, that painful artist nerd, probably most of us were, and speaking for myself, <laughs> um, and awkward. And the only thing that anybody ever admired me for was drawing. So they would be mean to me all day and then come up and go, can you draw me one of those unicorns? Yeah. So I was really good at like whipping out unicorns That's in so exchange funny. for popularity. <laughs> buying their friendship with yeah. drawing. It's not even buying their friendship though. It's buying like one nice word once. Okay. <laughs> right. Which you treasure. <laughs> Which Some treasure. cool kid yes, said exactly. that it was a nice unicorn. Exactly, and... exactly. So, what were you drawing at a very early age? Yeah, like, did you I know that drew. that's like that's and was it a natural thing or was it some like in the family? You know, like, I didn't have an artist in the family, but both of my parents were interested in the arts, and both of their parents had discouraged them and made them go into careers, mm. chemistry and nursing, real careers. <laughs> yeah, real careers. <laughs> and so, um, both and my parents met in the late 60s in California and so they were definitely not trying to emulate the way that they had been raised in middle America and they were sort of Jesus freak hippies and they were religious but um, their parents all thought they were going to hell because they were doing (laughs) such like a fringe kind of religion so they raised their kids and they were really trying to find like they didn't know much about alternative education, but they kind of stumbled into alternative education. So we always went to schools, public schools, that were doing these all these 1970s open classroom experiments, publicly funded, um, and with a huge emphasis on letting kids be self-expressive. Which so, is such a big deal now, and like a working, like a working, uh, um, uh, uh, like it seems like a lot of people I know uh, think it's a really great. No, it was excellent for me, except I never learned my multiplication tables. I mean, I still don't know them. <laughs> I mean, what you were you naturally good at and what you really enjoyed doing, you could excel as far as you wanted. Um, but nobody was, there was no standardized testing then, mm. or very little. Right. So, uh, you know, I got into a, a regular school in fifth grade, and they found out I was reading at a 12th grade level, but I couldn't do second grade math. So, kind of, <laughs> I don't mind now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, right, you got a calculator on your phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously. Yeah. So, uh, so my parents, they learned a lot from that early school. It's publicly funded until uh, Reagan was elected and immediately cut public spending. On, I literally thought that the president came and shut down my school because that's how it was ex- described right. to me as a child in like fourth grade. Yeah, Nancy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my parents' eyes have been kind of opened to alternative education and and they actually took all the college funds after me suffering through a more um well it it was more normal education but it was also a pretty tough town so i didn't ever see fights but it was always like metal detectors at the school well it was before all that um there probably is now i would think but you know pretty rough school and my sister and i were pretty soft little kids so (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh, so you never got beat up you came home without lunch money yeah i don't know it was more just uh i think i would have been ostracized in any school but it was more just (laughs) (laughs) it was more just um you had to just be tough you had to really be tough i mean girls would threaten girls like physical fighting so um, there were rumors of fights with bicycle chains and stuff like that. So, you know, that 70s kind of fighting. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so, the warriors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. There were always so. rumors of, like, a, a student pulling a switchblade on a yeah, teacher. exactly. Those kinds of that things. Or kind baseball of thing. bats, or I had the, you know, fill your uh, your your hands up with, like, a roll of uh, quarters. Yeah. So your hands become... <laughs> Maybe that's a whole other level. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember like, you saying something about having bullets whiz past your head. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't... 
quite yeah. to that level. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't at school, to be fair. <laughs> okay. That was the graffiti tunnel. Let's, let's, no, those are tunnels, yeah. Clear. That was after school. Okay, yeah. all right. Extracurricular Extra activity, yeah. yes. It was in the graffiti cr- club. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, so you went to, so at this point you were kind of in the high school um, a, like mostly middle this- school, and I basically started dying in middle school. I mean, yeah. I, I was I was really being crushed, and I'd been a really artistic and really outgoing not outgoing, but like comfortable kid. And really, my parents were just like, "What is happening?" It, it, they couldn't tell what was going on. My teachers would ask my parents at parent conferences, like if something weird was going on at home. Like everybody thought I was being abused somewhere, but nobody knew. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Not at home, between home and school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why were you dying? Um, because everything that I like to talk about would just get made fun of. You know, I'm was just a weird. It was kid. social stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I was the kind of kid who just like, you know, just noticing things. I'm walking to school with other girls. You know, I just the way girls are to each other. Just saying like, wow, isn't that cool in that white snowbank? How all the dirt is on the top, but any of the undercuts are still white snow. And they would be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, like, I was just sort of like the spacey visual kid. I was like, I remember, like, all the trees on the walk to school, you know. Like, I mean, oh. it's funny is that you look at it, <clears throat> you look at it as weird. And I'm like, I would that's be totally like, it's yeah. totally normal. It's totally normal. I would be like, you're normal. right. I know. There is dirt I know. on top I know. of it. And I didn't have good observation. And if I had just <laughs> one person that was yeah, like yeah. that, it would have been okay. But everybody was just like, oh, you my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to the mall. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a Salem accent. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's like me stifling any innovative or creative mm-hmm. idea age, you know? Yeah, and you know, you're, there's always one or two teachers that are like interested and interesting that kind of help you survive that kind of environment. So there's always one or two teachers that sort of make you feel like someone's well, they, seeing you. Did you have, like, some particular art teacher that... Uh, um, mostly, like, English teachers, because I was really... like I thought I might be a writer my whole life, because I was always really interested in that. Um, art do you was love kind it? of just Writing as well? I do. Or? I do. I love writing. Um, it's just sort of convenient now, because I can write on Facebook and blog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a Twitter post. <laughs> LOL. So, so were you doing art at that point? Besides, were, you, were, were you doing any art? Or? Not any formal... I mean, just normal... Uh, art school classes but what I was really lucky about is I went to a high school my parents had been saving for college and I was just so miserable that instead of sending me to the public high school they spent the college tuition on private school um so then I was weird in a different way because everybody went skiing and you know it was like they were, it wasn't a super fancy yeah. high, private yeah. high school, but it was a different lifestyle than what I was used but to. But it, it is a private so, school. Yeah, it was so a private school in the next town. It the does cater a little town. bit to that. Way more artistic, though. I mean, we oh, did. Sure. We had great art teachers. Um, every single person in the school was expected to do, to play a musical instrument and sing in choir and play in the orchestra and do plays. Cool. In addition to all the academics. So, wow. um, what did you play? What was your I played violin for until I was wow. nineteen. Yeah. How many years? Eight to nineteen. So. Oh wow. Yeah, but I only started liking it the last two years. I mean, violins horrible when you can't play <laughs> it's really awful no wait let me so when you were going to the private school were your did your parents research and know that you wanted to do something artistic or it just happened to be oh this one happens 
you know, what, I don't when you know went there. how they found the school. Do you it know was, what I mean by that? Yeah, like, I do. Were they like, oh, you're this type of person. You should go to this school because it's artistic and you're an artistic type of person. Yeah, I, I mean, they definitely were trying to find an environment that I would thrive in <clears> more. And I had always just done really elaborate, you know, book reports with tons of illustrations, you know, just uh, like really elaborate projects. Diorama. Like <laughs> yeah, di- the solar oh, system. <laughs> I had an amazing diorama of James and the Giant Peach that I'm still <laughs> proud of. <laughs> So at that school, did you find the art teachers or the art instruction was was leading you in the direction that you wanted to go, or was it uh, was it a little bit different? You know, at that time, it didn't really dawn on me. My, my art teachers had gone to the Museum School of Boston, which is what uh-huh. I would now consider to be a very modernist school, mm-hmm. um, and it was really sort of just very free and like, let's try lino cuts right. and let's try printmaking and, let, and sort of liberal of, arts of art. Liberal arts of art, exactly. Really open, really, really. Um, um, you know, interested in what we're doing and, and, and enjoying it, which was great. Um, but the headmistress of the school was Parisian. And even if, even though the art world in Europe is modern, everybody in Europe is trained in art history and has an idea of, you know, what people drew in the 19th century and things like that. So she had casts around. We didn't do formal cast drawing, but I would sort of do them on my own, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that looks like a fun, pretty thing to draw. Um, and she would, um, critique the drawings. She was kind of a scary person sometimes, but so you'd be intimidated. She'd be like, Oh, let me see your sketchbook. And, you know, (laughs) and you'd be like, Oh, and she'd flip through. And and so she would say things to me like, no, 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 never draw from photographs. Never again. You're done. No more. Really? Wow. Did she ever like explain why? She said it's, she would never explain. She was very French. She would say, she would put a mug of pencils in front of me one day and she said, better you draw this mug full of pencils than you draw from a photograph. That's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I mean, I've believed that a long time. I guess it sunk in, but I was like, oh, she's scary. I'll do yeah, that. Having something like that at such an early age, I think would be, I mean, that's so great. You know, the it, idea of like observe things. Yeah, know? and um, the school had a program where everybody got a subsidized trip to France um, one their third year. Otherwise, I never would have had the opportunity to go to Europe. And so um, I sort of, and also, but it was also class stuff. I was, you know, coming from a working class town with middle class parents, but a lot of these kids um, were more sophisticated. Um, and so I kind of wanted to be like, well, here, you know, everybody thinks. France is cool, and you know, like like yeah. everybody's everybody spoke French, and every, you know that there was this sort of um, this idea of the the Renaissance man education yeah. um, was sophisticated to me. It looks sophisticated, it is sophisticated, it is, but it yeah. lo- it was sort of a class issue for me. Like I better I better be cool, you know. And so um, you know, we would have like philosophy lunch talk and things like that, <laughs> you know, and and uh, um, I, you know, seeing. Um, I don't know, Dead Poets Society. I was like, that was my ideal kind of school experience. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'll be cry about Shakespeare, you know. Um, yes, yes, my captain. Yeah, yes, captain, exactly. my captain. <laughs> yes, captain, my captain. Exactly. Um, but that, it was there that um, my art teachers encouraged me to apply to art school. Um, they helped me photograph my work. They knew how to photograph work. And, we, you know, we used a little mylar tape to tape off the edges of the actual 
slides and things like that and they would set that up and help me create a portfolio the last two years I was there we had like a Monday lunch every week um, to talk about portfolio projects to work on and review portfolio projects that were outside of the normal art classes Mm -hmm. and they brought in um, a couple instructors from outside that we would do like basically a workshop like I did like a Mm -hmm. week of learning to draw with pastels with a visiting instructor so it was it was it definitely made me think you know this is what I want to do but I was going to be a writer so I mostly applied to liberal arts schools but then I applied to Rhode Island School of Design just as an extra just to see if I could get in right and um, I hadn't visited I'd visited Brown Um, I didn't apply to Brown but I did apply to RISD but I applied I really want to go to Bard which is a really small liberal arts writing writing school it's upstate and the idea of like sitting around in the woods writing just sounded awesome (laughs) to me Um, but I didn't think I would get into RISD and so when I got in I mean I still remember the day my mom and I were jumping up and down screaming I mean it was I couldn't believe and I'd already gotten into Bard which had been my top pick yeah so I was that an agonizing choice or was it a clear choice it was crystal clear I hadn't known it was going to be clear I just didn't think I could get into RISD and so when I got in so that was like your reach kind of and I had only been around other artists inside my art school I'd taken classes at the museum school figure drawing classes at the mm-hmm. museum school but I hadn't been around a lot of artists so I just didn't know well maybe I just draw good for I mean I went to a tiny school I graduated with 13 people oh wow uh, really <laughs> tiny so there's only 75 people in the school at that point so I didn't know I had no way of knowing like do I draw well for these 75 people right. or or do I draw well you know big fish to... in a little pond yeah. Or... Yeah. so um, and then I think I've spent the the rest of my life after RISD kind of processing the shock of applying with these very tight rendered graphite drawings which RISD is famous for their application process you have to send in original drawings that follow specific assignments so you have to do a pair of shoes you have to do a bicycle and you can do a third drawing that is whatever you want and I did a self-portrait and they have to be in pencil and they have to be on 18 by 24 paper and you have to fold them into quarters and put them in a manila envelope and send them you have to fold your drawings yeah you have to fold your drawings isn't that weird and they can't be photographs and so it's kind of to limit you from applying to multiple schools because you put in a lot of work into these drawings and so they they want you to be applying mostly to them I guess Mm -hmm. I don't know and they're, they have to be in pencil and they have to be on 18 by 24. So you're doing like a lot of shading and stuff, you know. And um, and then you get there and they're like, draw big, dog and, draw in charcoal, yeah. you know, don't worry about looking forget at the model. Forget about the bike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> forget, about the, forget about, you know, anything. Yeah. You know, that uh, RISD does have the reputation and does have little scraps of, you know, we'll teach you about head heights for measuring proportion and things like that. And there is a strong golden age of illustration influence there. And I majored in illustration because of that. But, um, but it was, you know, it was, so it was very, a little bit of a shock to get there. And you're like, oh, it you wasn't, know, you're not going to do that here. <laughs> I wasn't immediately aware. It's taken me a long time to sort of filter because I enjoyed it while I was there right. because we're doing all these fun projects. When is you know? this college? I mean, college is just it's fun, college, right? right? And, and I'd gone to a, a very tiny high school. Mm. Like I, I, I don't think I'd even, I had a boyfriend once for three weeks in high school. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I was like boys, you know. Yeah. So it was like the social environment of being in college was a big deal. So I was sort of distracted. Like I don't think I ever was like, 
wait, why am I making all my art projects out of cardboard? I mean, we did a lot of cardboard, <laughs> yeah. you know, like right. conceptual stuff, yeah. you know, like take these materials and answer this conceptual problem just with these materials. And so um, sometimes I would kind of think like, this feels a little bit like kindergarten. I can't believe my parents are paying so much money right. for it, you know. Um, and then I majored in illustration and RISD has a really nice little museum. They've got a Rembrandt in there. And so, um, and it does attract people who want to learn to paint and draw realistically and it does have a really strong illustration lineage and so people are teaching you know drawing and painting um sort of the loomis tradition i think um but my painter friends were all just like in a room by themselves painting and the professor would come down once a week so i was like well i don't want to major in painting and sit in a room by myself (laughs) slap cardboard together and call it art exactly so I fast forward a bunch of years and that's exactly what we're all yeah, doing. Exactly. It's true. It's true. You're right. You're right. Only now we're complaining about our backs. I know, hurting. Well, the at least when I was there, the painting department at RISD did not have models. That was a major decision yeah. for me to major in illustration. You so could, the illustration department had life painting and it drawing. It had life and, painting and drawing. And the art department did not. And the painting department did painting, not. Yeah. The painting, the fine art so painting fine art, majors. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I went in... Um, I looked at it when I was in high school, and I looked at the portfolio work coming out of it, like the um, the the uh, uh, when the graduate mm-hmm. years, and I hated it. You know, and well, that's such good research to do. That didn't even occur to me. I just looked at the brochure and all yeah. the happy kids drawing on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> but I was just like, because I knew I wanted to do things that were, you know, whatever. I would paint realistically or draw realistically, right. and I looked at it. And I was like, none of this is that. And so, and it was always had the reputation of like the best art school right. in the country. Right. And then I was like, I don't want to do any of this. I'm not interested that's in it, so, so I never great. pursued it. I don't think I'd ever seen an abstract painting like I just I don't think I knew that there was a choice to be made I thought you just went to art school to learn how to draw and paint yeah um we didn't really I mean we went to uh, in Boston we had the MFA and we had the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum um I don't even know when the first time I ever really became aware of modern art just it's like a class where they teach you about modern art it wasn't like you might end up doing this that never even occurred to me I just thought being an artist was painting and drawing realistically i don't think i really knew that everything was a few hundred years old so your classes like uh, at at high school weren't you weren't seeing like i don't know de kooning and rothko and castle no um i think i'd heard of picasso but like we all liked his earlier stuff well yeah. picasso i mean he was figurative still he was yeah i mean i think i knew about picasso's blue period i knew right. but it was a lot of focus on monet and things like that you know early impressionism and um that's so interesting that they would have not you know followed through to modernism my my teacher in high school was a figurative painter and he did you know kind of crazy colorful figures floating in a wooded landscape and it was sort of like you learn how to draw and paint and then you can draw and paint the scenes that you want to draw and paint right and um and he'd gone to a school where probably most people were doing abstract work he was probably the weird one for doing figurative work and teaching art at a high school um but i didn't know that was weird i just thought that's what art school was so then you're confronted with all this other kind of art when you get to RISD that's like the first kind of awakening that you had to yeah and again i think some of it's a class thing i mean if you're uh, in a luxurious position to go to art school it's it's definitely there's there's not a lot of uh, there's a there's a thing that equates 
uh, uh, maturity and and sophistication with being cool with modern art. Yeah. And um, you were sort of considered sort of an immature little kid if you didn't get on board with that. Right. So I really liked uh, Michelangelo drawings, and I, I just remember maybe three years in it dawning on me, like, well, I've seen the seniors' work, and I've seen my teachers' work, and I've seen all my classmates work, and nobody's drawing like Michelangelo. Like I kept thinking, like next year we'll get to draw like Michelangelo. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> it's coming, it's coming up. Yeah. In your fourth year, Michelangelo. Exactly. <laughs> so I, it took me a while to really realize I'm spending all this yeah. time, and my parents are spending all this money on the path that is not. But I, I was just so sort of hazy. I just was like, you go to art school. So this funny, is- college is yeah. You're a little bit in a haze, I think. In college, and also, it was the general. best art school in the country. It's right. always so, called the best. So they're going to you kind of take what you're given yeah, and, and just this is the right decision really. because they're going to tell you what. Exactly. You I mean, I visited a friend on their college campus, and a friend of mine who was in another college had a friend meet me, and she said. Oh, where do you go to school? And I said, I go to Rhode School of Design. They said, oh, you go to RISD? And what are you majoring in? I said, I'm majoring in illustration. And they said, you're majoring in illustration at Rhode Island School of Design? Can I touch you? That is my dream. You know? <laughs> and so like, that's the kind of school I'm going to. I'm thinking, well, sure, I'm going to be able to draw like Michelangelo in another six months. You know? yeah. <laughs> They're just going to tell me a couple right of things and boom, 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 They, boom, they boom. pack that in at the very, very end. Right, exactly, exactly. It's a crash course. So, yeah. So I sort of took it upon myself as best I could. You know, I took an anatomy class, and you could pick a final project. So my final project, I did ballpoint pen copies of master drawings. I don't know why ballpoint pen. Probably just like big or something. Yeah, like just big. to make it that much harder. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, in a in a big sketchbook, I did like thirty or forty of them, and then did a transparent overlay over them and labeled all the muscles and bones but it was with the biology teacher at brown were you looking at the hail book at the time yeah we were yeah. we looking at the hail book that was that was a fantastic resource because yeah. i was like these are all the drawings that i'm they're trying all here. to do they're all in this book <laughs> and the, but the biology teacher over at brown was like well that would have worked if any of them understood anatomy but all the they're all lumps and bumps in those drawings so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> He didn't like Michael. I mean, he's a biologist. He wasn't really excited about Michelangelo's idea of anatomy. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, I mean, I don't know. I've had and will have after this podcast ripped down roaring fights with some of my very good friends that I'm still friends with from RISD who are painters, who are realistic painters, who were majored in illustration, who have very fond memories of RISD and really felt like they learned what they wanted to learn there. Um, I think I mean if you feel if they feel like they learned what they wanted to learn that what they wanted to learn they did I think they did and it yeah. worked for them it did and and, uh, and some people it wouldn't work for right and my friends uh, um, I'm really I mean I guess you only really stay friends with the ones that you really admire their work the people yeah. I've admired their work since we were kids and they do really really beautiful paintings I mean I'm like how the heck did you learn how to do that with what we got I don't know what they were doing I mean they might have just been more talented than me which is you know something that was hard for me to accept at the time <laughs> or they went and, did they pursue outside education because it seems like uh, one familiar thing between all of us and our peers is that we went to art school and then we went to art school like art study art on our own with people I for many years afterwards. Have, but you know what? There was a, there was a culture at RISD where everybody was sort of doing their independent work on the side, which was little still lifes and studies from life. And so you would you would call them studies. They weren't art, but you were kind of always doing them. And and then most of these 
kids who'd been doing a lot of comic book art and were majoring in illustration to be get into comic books and animation and things like that. But they were constantly doing these little studies on the side. So now, 25 years later, they're damn good at those things yeah. and they're beautiful work. And, and they're so, realistic painters, some of them? Some of them, but um, some of them consider their real work... They're all going to get mad at me when they Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Some you heard of them it consider first. their real... <laughs> some of them that consider their real work to be larger pieces that they do more from imagination that's more um, not conceptual to the levels that conceptualism has been brought today, but like right. 80s, 90s conceptualism of just sort of ambiguous like figures, like fantasy, ambiguous... Yeah. No, 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 not that direction, but more... Um, more sort of ambiguous figures in an ambiguous room and, and very well painted, but um, more, um, I'm thinking more like Pafa or something like mm-hmm. that. A little mm-hmm. bit more that, that direction, perceptual painter. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but then do these smaller works that I'm like, hey, my gallery will show that. Take the yeah, and go with that really nice. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't, it's sort of a divide between what they consider studies and what they It's consider. almost like an extension of the RISD thing where it's like they were painting on the side, doing these realistic paintings on the side, and, do, oh, and the, but this is my art. You're saying they're still kind of doing that in a way. I, well, I think so. And I'm really interested in what, like, I think that side work, it, for me, is my work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot, of, I, I think it's, you know, it's just what we've all been dealing with. It's this idea of modernism that you have to have these ideas inserted that are sort of um, readable. Trying and, to challenge us in a with language. Something. <laughs> challenge, challenge you guys? Yeah, challenge. It's no. always like I'm, I'm challenging the yeah, viewer. Exactly. To, and I'm like, stop challenging me. Right, right. <laughs> it was, I mean, I think some of its maturity as well. It took me until I was in my early 30s to be like, you know what? All I've ever really wanted to do is put some things on a shelf and see if I can paint them. And finally, I'm just going to do that, and I don't care if nobody likes them. And it, you know, I, I think I'm. It just took me a long time to get there. And then I started doing that, and then I and I had a blog, and I put it on the blog, and I and I started getting gallery. I never applied to galleries. Galleries contacted me. Magazines contacted me. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm in this realist painting world. Not spontaneously I took workshops and discovered classical realism and just went crazy like this is what I've been looking for forever came out of RISD and then you started to kind of catch wind of you know there's this so-and-so teaching 15 year gap it was huge gap Uh, I only discovered classical realism with a class I took with Julia Aristides in 2006 Mm -hmm. and I didn't draw or paint except for the occasional drop-in figure class for about nine or ten years before that and so I came out of RISD and floundered around for a couple of years, became a graphic designer, um, worked in graphic design, got caught up in the whole um, internet explosion, became a web designer. I was a pretty good web designer. I like interface design. Um, I like trying to figure out how people navigate space. And so it was an interesting problem for me to solve. So got moved out here to San Francisco with the whole dot-com thing. And then just sort of got trapped when everything um, <laughs> fell apart fell and I couldn't apart. afford to move away. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a very fast description so what, of about 15 so the, years of my life. <laughs> that was what brought you to San Francisco and then you yep. just kind of stayed. Uh, well, my, my dad and I worked for the same company. He's a software engineer. And so he and I had worked at a larger or a larger firm earlier where I was the graphic designer and he was one of the principal software engineers for a company for a few hundred people. 
a bunch of us split off uh, and, and about 10 of us did a little startup because it was the land of startups. Yeah. So it was 98, yeah. 99. And our friends were going out to California and making a million dollars and coming back to the East Coast going, you guys got to go do that, you know? <laughs> They're just giving away money they, over they there. Were. They, they were. Really, they were back then, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It's like the gold rush. So we just, you know, got some angel investors and current team of 10 people who are all really good software engineers. I was their interface designer and created a product and started trying to sell the product, but then they wanted to buy the team. And so they moved us out to integrate us into their company. And then the company went bankrupt and we all got laid off about two months after we moved out. (laughs) And then you heard about Juliet Aristides. Well, that was all in 2000. So I didn't hear about Juliet for six Six more years. years. So So what did you do for those six years? I went back to being a graphic designer, but not in a startup. I I worked um, in a design firm that did actually slides for lawyers to use in in uh patent litigation does, well, it, does it, it actually was because fascinating murder <laughs> cases what a, yeah it was not crime although we did do one really interesting crime thing as a pro bono thing um but uh just to keep it interesting <laughs> it was oh, i don't even want to get into that story. <laughs> That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> next, the next podcast. Yeah. The next, next, the next episode. We'll talk all about that. Yeah. Um, but we were translating, um, you know, we did a big case about patent litigation between different um, medications for breast cancer and how they attach uh, medications to breast cancer cells and how they analyze the DNA. And so we have to describe that to an audience of jurors and you assume a juror has a high school education and no more. And so patent litigation is really complicated because they're taking these very high level technical things and arguing between who owns the rights to the, who owns the rights to the patent. Meanwhile, um, they're having to describe it to a jury and they can only assume a 12th grade education. And so they, we are making cute little pictures of DNA <laughs> attaching to breast cancer cells. And it's a pretty lucrative business because these lawyers need a, a hundreds of slides you know, wow. for, to go to trial. So how did you come across Juliet? Um, I started painting and drawing on my own i hired a model my my husband is a filmmaker and sorry to interrupt but yeah. you hired a model were you was this something that you were taking from RISD as far as like oh you just hire a model and they come in and you do yeah drawings. i had this idea i probably saw like a picture of lucian freud working in his studio or something i had this idea that like once you're a grown-up artist you hired a model like i, mm-hmm. I didn't know i don't know <laughs> and so i and i used to go to drop-in figure drawers okay, so and stuff like that figures. yeah um but i want to make a painting and yeah. i want it to be a three-hour pose and so and usually those are short pose so um, my husband and I were in a loft because we were making films in his loft and so I had space and so one summer I hired a couple models and I I painted as well as I had painted when I was a senior at RISD which then I thought I painted pretty well but I my artistic taste had developed but my skills hadn't developed so now I'm 30 and painting and I'm like these are horrible. Like they're really bad. Like, were you seeing things that changed your artistic kind of sensibility, or you know, I actually wasn't even looking at art online. I didn't know that there was real people painting in classical tradition or realistically online. I didn't know any of that. Um, but I always go to museums. I, I mean, I think right. I just grew up. So you were just more. exposed to more art. Yeah, and I expected to not be painting like a student anymore because I was thirty mm-hmm. in thirty. 
too by then. And so I kind of thought... Like, you want to make adult paintings? I went, uh, sort of just the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to grow up and make some art. I'm still waiting yeah, for that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> so, Am I talking too much? No. no, no it's, 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 it's the whole idea. Of what these guys are interrupting. You're supposed to interrupt we, me more. Yeah. No. no. Or is it We're trying no, to interrupt Tony. his chair. Tony. I'm, Definitely I'm Tony. kicking his chair. <laughs> He's keeping me grounded. I'm kicking Believe me, there's about 30 awesome stories I was about to tell, and he's like, I know what you're about to do. One time. Oh, wait, no. We've both that's, been kicked several times called, by Jay. That's yeah. called interrupting. <laughs> I did. I heard you guys talking about that. That's hilarious. Um, getting complaints from people on the internet when you're doing something is... For free. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The very first video I ever uploaded, painting video I ever uploaded to the internet, I had set up a camera behind me with my husband's help, but I painted like a 60-hour painting, and it took one picture every 10 seconds. Now we have more sophisticated ways of speeding up the process. Yeah. We mm-hmm. took one, and for like a month, and it was like a pain, so it was a big camera over my shoulder. And so I'm all excited, and my husband teaches me just like a little bit about editing and some editing suite. And so I sit there, and I edit it all down to like six minutes. And um, I'm working under daylight, so it's like flickering light. So I'm trying to take out, take out the because it's 10 seconds, and it's fog in San Francisco. So the fog's going over, so it's like dark light, dark light, dark light. And so um, I'm all excited, and I put it up in the Internet, and it's cool. You can see, and I paint indirect. So it was the drawing, and then the underpainting, and then the second underpainting, and the third underpainting, and then the color, and more color. And so it was like a really elaborate process. And it was like six minutes. Brr, it's all done. And the very first comment on YouTube is from some guy going, you posted this entire painting and you never bothered to give us a photograph of your setup. And I was like, it's a free video. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. free, you <laughs> <laughs> There's like a nice way to ask, like, hey, we'll maybe next out. time. You, yeah, you yeah. Know. Or any chance did you take a picture of your setup? I'd love to see it. I, right. no, yeah, it was yeah. like, you posted this, like, you violated my personal rights by posting something Everyone is a critic on <laughs> no, the internet. No, but to be yeah. fair, like, we've had a lot of really great emails, too. And yeah. So go back to it. Your, hurts. It does. <laughs> it, hurts. <laughs> it all hurts. It all does hurt. No, go, go back to, so you were 30. Yeah. And you thought uh, serious artists hire models, oh. and, okay. you, and you weren't getting what you wanted out of it. Oh, you're good. He's, He's keeping us on track. Jay Braun. Jay Braun. So you guys wonder what I do. It's, it's, Besides this kicking us under the table. This is what he does. Delete Tony. This is what I Delete Tony's interruption. This is why he gets paid the big bucks. He's going to delete that, Tony. You're 30. And mm-hmm. you're hiring models, and you're like, I'm going to figure this thing out. And you're not yeah. getting what you want. What's and no? What I'm I'm doing flat because I there I, I've seen people go through it in art school, and I know I went through it. Like I'm just not getting the three dimensional feeling I want. But this flatness thing is so much easier. I'm just going to stick with flat, you know, the and just you know make mayonnaise. <laughs> like mayonnaise. Mm. What does that mean? I think you said mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Oh, mayonnaise. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Oh, for so. God's sake. I want to get to this. That's this really good. Good. <laughs> We're getting right to the good part here. Um, yeah, and so they're flat, and the flesh tones are like orange with a little blue and a lot of white, like I was taught in art school, and they're just all the same. And and, and I actually had a really good colorist teacher in art school. I don't want to degrade that, but... Um, wasn't able to get the nuances that I, I could see and that I want. I could visualize the pictures I want to make, and so I just had this thought one day: like, how is it possible that I went to four years full time art school 
to the best art school in the country and I can't paint a figure sitting in front of me. Like, what? I don't understand that. Like, do I have to take more classes? And actually, I was frustrated. I was talking to my dad. My dad likes to paint and he'd been taking some art classes at the local art school. And he, he said to me, you should take some art classes. And I think that's a fantastic idea and I'm so glad that he said that. But at the time, I was like, more. I, I was like a bratty teenager. I went to RISD, exactly. Dad. <laughs> and you paid for it. I don't need any more art <laughs> classes. I've had all the art classes that I need. You know? But it, it sunk in a little bit. And um, and so then I went to see the movie. Um, it's got Scarlett Johansson. It's about Girl Vermeer. with the Pearl Girl Earring. with the Pearl Earring. And she's grinding paint. And it's that movie is filmed beautifully with like yeah. light sifting through the little panes of glass and everything <laughs> in the Dutch window. And, and so I didn't think I wanted to take painting class, but I was thinking I'd like to learn how to, I'd never learned how to do that. And then very soon after that on Craigslist, I saw an ad for a woman who was teaching that. So I signed up for 10 private lessons with her. And I guess because I gave, give myself permission to take an art class because it was like the mechanics that I yeah. had never learned before. Wait, wait a class in what? In um, traditional Tra- painting traditional materials. Painting. So yeah, paint so grinding, mixing your own paint, preparing your own gesso board, and we would make a little painting. Uh-huh. And so I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. And um, sort of like an elective. Like, I'll just learn this little side technique, you know. And so I took this class. She had taught it all to herself from books. And um, I was like, did you go to some magical art school? <laughs> She's actually from Europe. So I was like, do they teach that over there? <laughs> she was like, oh, no, 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 no. She says, I just learned it from books. I just read, uh, you know methodology books and figured out a bunch of stuff and um so she basically taught me the fundamentals of of indirect painting so we had a chalk gesso panel and painted uh did a drawing first and i was taught you would never do a drawing to prepare for a painting that was like absolutely the wrong thing to do Uh, you know that's like coloring book right filling in the lines so um so i was like you're really gonna let me fine i'm gonna do really detailed line drawing this is awesome and we did an underpainting and then we did color on top and she taught me glazing and and i think we just did one day of mulling some paint and it was private lessons just me and her in her studio and so that kind of made me realize like wow i really like this so i went home to do one on my own and I did, like, the best little still life I'd ever done in my life. Like, far better than anything I'd ever done at RISD. Because I was willing to sort of... I remember taking a ruler and measuring to make sure a vessel, a little pitcher, was symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And finding out that the neck of the pitcher sat right over the foot, even though the handle stuck out and the spout stuck out. And it was like, I can measure this and make it look like it's actually standing straight. Yeah. And I'd never allowed myself to do anything like that. I love how you're just, like, you're coming across all this important information that we, by accident... Yeah, oh. I know. And when I teach, I'm like, okay, so the right. neck of a vessel is always over the <laughs> foot of the vessel, curious. and just ignore yeah. the handle and tell for now right. and measure. And, and people I are like, it. I'm like, I'm telling you this, and I figured <laughs> it out. You know, I had, I had work really hard. Don't you wish somebody's told it so you didn't have to waste all that time? I <laughs> mean, isn't that part of why you start in like an atelier is to teach people to you know yeah provide what you didn't have. I think we're just cobbling together the pieces here and whatever I can do to save someone. Ultimately, if I can save somebody a tenure of an artist block and not painting because they feel like they're not going to do real art, which was my problem, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, all I really want to paint is what's right in front of me, and that's not good enough, so that's a waste of time, and I'm not a real artist, so maybe I won't do that. Um, If I can save someone that, even if they're just whatever they're making, you know, just have them make it. And then if I can save someone some steps, you know, of just 
focus on drawing for a while, focus on values for a while, and then color is going to be so much more fun, and you're just going to have a great time. I yeah. think just by that statement alone, you've you've helped so many people when they hear it. The idea of when they hear it, it's like I'm giving you permission in yeah. a weird way. Yeah, that it's okay. And I and you know I I am and was pretty shy and insecure but i think a lot of artists are Are. and so i think that there were people who did say well i'm going to do what i'm going to do no matter what anybody tells me but i just wasn't that personality like i really need a community it meant it's like i felt like i had honestly just found my people when i took juliet's workshop because i just felt like i was by myself and i know some artists can handle being the lone voice in the wilderness and there's been amazing people teaching all through the 60s 70s 80s 90s who were the only people that they knew doing this mm-hmm. and i thank god they're they did that but i'm that's just not me but i think a lot of artists are like me we're kind of timid i think even i think i would have to <laughs> say i would i mean i'm not saying that there aren't those people that you just said but i even think those people that seemed like they were okay with it weren't okay with it Right. And even the idea of like, I, I, there's a couple of times when I've come across people who in so many ways were beating around the bush saying that they didn't like modern art or right. a certain type of art. Not right. to say modern art because there's great modern art. And I was like, it's, yeah, it's fine not to like that stuff. I give you permission right, to right. not like it. And I think, again, it is really equated with being sophisticated, being educated, being liberal, being, uh, and I am liberal, but it is equated with class there are ideals in america that mean that you should be cool enough to like modern art and i think it's really hard for people i think some people really honestly do and i've had really profound experiences looking at stuff that isn't classically trained i mean there's a lot of great so you don't you're open to it you're not necessarily like closed off my big problem with it is the education side i Mm -hmm. think if somebody wants to learn to paint and draw realistically they should be they should have the resources available to them and they should not act like that is a lesser pursuit right um people can make whatever the heck they want to make and use whatever methods they want to make and i mean i i believe people when they say that they've cried in front of a rothko i haven't but i have gone through phases where I've really I mean I had a huge Picasso phase of all kinds of Picasso you mm-hmm. know and I, I've, I've loved de Kooning I had another phase where I just thought de Kooning was fantastic was that pre-2006 oh, or yeah. post? oh way pre oh, okay. yeah way pre but um, but you know, I mean, there's. Did po- I'm sorry. Did, did, did this post 2006 ruin that for you, though? Like something like appreciating yeah. some. <laughs> it did. <laughs> That's hysterical. You're like, oh, no. I can't do it. I can't do it. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just gave me a look because I'm always defending. Always defending. I don't know. I, I, just, I think it should be defended. It I mean, should be. I. Yeah, it was a funny look. <laughs> I just look at people working really, really hard to make up for the fact that they can't draw, and I actually Ouch. think that De Kooning yeah. and Hockney would have liked to draw. Like, I, I think there's, like, these kernels of children in them that did like that. Yeah. But if you just have no resources and you still want to make something and you still want to communicate something, they've done that. But the the painful drawing is just painful yeah. to me now. And But the other side <laughs> of it, too, is um, is is what we've been talking a lot about in the idea of post-contemporary art is this lack of empathy. So, What's post-contemporary art? Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> Since you brought I it up. I am not the defining million, that. Million dollar question. <laughs> we can go fight about it on Facebook for a few <laughs> days. Uh, well, I mean, I, I really like what Graydon says about empathy being a key factor. Mm-hmm. And because I, I, I've had conversations with some of my friends from art school who are like, well, why don't you guys, like, you guys, meaning us classical people, <laughs> why don't you guys accept John Curran? I mean, he paints very well. He paints um, realistic figures. Why don't you accept <laughs> John Curran? <laughs> well, there's multiple layers of that. We're not even going to get into the <laughs> porn aspect or yeah. whatever, but the, uh, the, the winking kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of like, I can do this for this other goal, and this goal being that I am cooler than anybody who did it in the past. It's an iron. It comes off very ironic. And the irony thing, it's just boring and tiring. And, and I think that really was damaging to me because, um, um, as as a young artist, the idea that you had to be cool, like like I'm really really not cool, like I'm really nerdy, <laughs> and like you're pretty cool. Coming from coming from somebody who's cool, <laughs> and I'm what pointing are you saying, at myself Sadie? right now. <laughs> you're, pretty, you're, you're, you're cool. She just said okay, you're not I cool. St- I was drawing unicorns like way beyond age eight, nine, ten. Okay? Are they like, cool? Still are they cool unicorns? Much, do you know how much Star Wars discussion we have to delete from I know. every podcast? <laughs> oh, you got it in. You, you should have waited for me to say yeah, yeah. it. Think about all the stuff we I know. deleted. I know. I know. Exactly. That's true. That's true. Um, but, so anyway, uh, post post the cl- the class where you learned yeah. milling and you learned a little bit about. Uh, so you've got technique. the still life that you're yeah. making. So now the, you're doing a what, what you call a more successful still life, something you're happier with. And, and right. then you took this class, or you heard about this yeah, class. Yeah. So that kind of made me realize, you know, I should probably go online and see see. Um, oh, I know what it was. Um, I was trying to figure out, like, okay, so what if I do make all these still lifes? that are very realistic. Like, are there even galleries that show this stuff? And so back in the far reaches of my mind, I had had one conversation with a professor back when I was in art school, and he had said, you know, you seem to really, really enjoy painting and drawing realistically. Um, You might want to look into a figurative gallery in New York. And I was like, well, what's, what is it? And he said, well, I don't know the name of it, but it's a figurative gallery. What? <laughs> there is one. Gallery. I don't even know what he was talking about. Do you guys know what he was talking about? The thousands of gallery. 1992. Yeah. 92, there was probably one. one professor knew of one figurative gallery in New York, but he couldn't remember <laughs> the name. so sad. Seriously. And so all these years later, I was like, okay, so this is what I did. I went to Google and I typed in figurative gallery New York. And the very first thing that came up was Arcadia Gallery. And I clicked on Arcadia, and I started looking through these pictures, and I thought, now I can tell the difference, but I thought they were 19th century paintings and drawings. And I saw a painting of a woman that I just thought was amazing. I was like, I can't believe I've never seen this painting. What is this? And I clicked on it, and it was Michael Grimaldi. (laughs) And um, then I... I was like, who is this guy, Michael Grimaldi? So I read his bio. He was born... Episode... What would that be? Episode... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can put in a little hot the, link yeah, there. Right, yeah. <laughs> episode whatever on suggested donation to podcast. <laughs> Insert just link say, here. Just say one, two, three, four, five. Episode one. Episode six. Episode eight. Episode, episode nine. Five. <laughs> hey, kids, say hello to Mr. Black. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is episode 12. 12. 12. 12. 12.
Sorry. So you saw Michael Grimaldi's on Arcadia's. Yeah, and it's one of his paintings of a woman, and I just thought it was an amazing painting. And then I looked at his bio, and I think he was born maybe two years before me, and I just could not believe it. And so my immediately thought was, I wonder if the guy, this guy teaches. So I just Googled his name, and I was over in California. He had just two months before taught a workshop at Bay Area Classical Artists. At Baca. But he wasn't coming back for two years because then he only did it every two years. Oh, wow. And so I just signed up for whoever was next. I just, like, my mind was blown, and I just, I'd never seen anything like that. And so she had a whole bunch of workshops. Linda. uh, Uh, Linda Delaney, yeah. I just signed up for whoever was next. It was a couple months later. And it was someone named Julia Aristides, and I didn't. I still don't know how to say her name, but I should. She didn't like pronounce it for the class. Maybe she did, but I'm not so good with things like that. (laughs) What's my last name? You're busy drawing a unicorn. Sarah and I. (laughs) And I am Valerie, not Valerie. Valerie. Everybody calls me Valerie. Valerie. Um, So I I showed up for the class, and and I just was like driving down to it, going. I can't believe I signed up for a one-week art class. I have so many other things to do. We just bought our house, and we were trying to move in and stuff. I was like, this is the worst time to take a class. I should just cancel, but it was expensive, so I'll go. It was kind of all whiny. <laughs> the drive, it was like a 30-minute drive down. And she taught us straight-line blocking right off the bat, and I was like, what the heck is this? I mean, I, I've been to enough art classes in you know five different states in the U.S. I went to Paris and studied there. And we've always done the same drawing exercises, you know, short pose figure drawing and right. loosen up, and loosen then, up, yeah. and blind yes, contour yes, drawings, yes. and then and then construction stuff, sort of based on the Loomis stuff and and Vilpu and things like that. And this was totally different. And um, when you say so, when you say straight line, you mean like comparative measurement? Type we of? were sharpening. Like yeah. I'd never sharpened anything. So we're sharpening vine charcoal. Like and I working very use, optically. I thought you were use vine charcoal on the side. Like I, I'd never use vine charcoal on the, the blunt tip. <laughs> you're sharp. like everything is just like accident. Like it's very sad for me because Juliet was born the same year as me. Yeah. Grimaldi's like two years more than me. I started googling everybody, finding out about everybody. What year was this? This is 2006, March of 2006. Okay. It's on my blog. March of 2006. <laughs> Everything's recorded these days. Um, I looked up Jacob Collins. Jacob is like six years older than me or five years older than me or something. Oh, man. You guys were studying with him right around the time I was at yeah. RISD. And I fell into this deep pit of despair. Yeah. I just was like, how is it possible that I was an hour and a half away up in Providence wanting this so bad and didn't know anything about it didn't didn't ever have that chance thing that happened when you guys were talking to patty a few months ago it's like if you talk to the right person and found the right person you sort of found him i mean it was so at the time before the internet it was just so like dumb luck also and and, and, in in a way it does sound like you were kind of luck you luck brought you to certain things it just happened a little bit later but the idea is it happened right it did so the process i went through is you know i i had a a really deep period of grief and serious anger at RISD. although now i believe it's just cultural RISD was okay you know RISD was doing the best it could and i had i had good teachers who were teaching good things there um but i went through a period of being extremely angry and feeling very betrayed and but I, i couldn't figure out who to be mad at after a while like what am i just mad at america and culture in general like okay i grew up with hippie parents like that's old hat for me you know like <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> 
you know, uh, um, I, I just I I just couldn't believe that I was studying with with Juliet, who was my age, who was studying with Jacob while I was at RISD. So then I started touring ateliers. I actually went out to Barnstone Studios to like see where Juliet started. <laughs> Did you attend one of his it's lectures? It's kind of good or? I'm doing it. Um, I met him and talked to him. He's really generous, and and um, he told me all about his school. And I just was like, "This is what I would have loved to do when right. I was, you know, sixteen, seventeen. She went there or something." So. so, how long did that feeling of betrayal, betrayal, and anger kind of, kind of well, sit around, fester, fester? I mean, I can still get into it. You know, I can still yeah. go into there, but it's not useful for me moving forward. Yeah. And and I feel like I waste. I've wasted a lot of time, but I've, everybody feels like we that. All, I feel like that. Frankly, those of us who have, in all this disarray, figured anything, any of it out, we probably would have been really great. I mean, with the scraps that we've been given to get to the meager level we're, we're it at. It could have been something. Right. It could have been something, <laughs> which is like a painful feeling, right? I mean, I, I think I could have been, oh, except I would have been blind because I'm so blind that I couldn't see in the 19th century without modern technology. <laughs> And um, and I would have been, and I'm a woman. Well, so was Monet. So that, <laughs> Monet too. That would have yeah. been a pretty big hurdle. He just hurdle. traced very closely. <laughs> <laughs> well, so and I just sucked the life out of it when I found it. I just decided yeah. that you know I wasn't going to get an MFA, which I'd kind of always kicked around vaguely, and I was just going to spend two years. I couldn't move to New York. We just bought a house. Any other time, I would have moved to New York and studied with Jacob if I could have figured. I would have slept on the doorstep or whatever. But I was like old, you know. I was like thirty-two and married and had a house, and I was like, oh, couldn't have this happened. So, so once you sucked in all this stuff, you you were just like running around doing workshops and trying to almost make. It sounds like you were making up for lost time. I was, and I treated it. Like, I can't study with these people full-time. They run full-time programs, or they teach a lot, but I don't live where they live. And so I'm going to take one week with them, and then I'm going to spend several months only doing what they taught. Kind of, like, processing everything. Processing, that yeah. I mean, it is. The workshops are these, like, condensed kind of loads and of information, yeah. and you can either sift through it or, yeah. you know, or not. And, and I took just copious notes and my blog documents, all of it. I was writing everything up, and I didn't know anybody was reading my blog, but all these people started reading my blog because I'm sharing all these workshops. Only my work, not the mm-hmm. instructor's Your work. Your experience. And a lot of them then didn't know about blogs, so I don't think they knew I was at home and, like, <laughs> typed everything up, but... There was a while where if you search for Michael Grimaldi, my blog would come up. With the up first thing. That, yeah. <laughs> or Julia. He's not a big internet presence guy. No, he's not. It's very easy to overshadow Grimaldi online. <laughs> yeah. I once went to his website, and I was clicking around trying to find new work, right? Because he never has new work on his website. This was years ago. And I was just moving my mouse around, and all of a sudden the mouse converted into a pointer in a random spot where there wasn't a button. And I clicked it, and I found like a secret door on Grimaldi's <laughs> website. And I was like, oh. All of a sudden, you're like you're turning the camera first. on in his computer and watching him in his home. It still be there. Just go hover your mouse all over the place. Grimaldi's so putting Easter it eggs on It's an Easter egg. It's an Easter egg. Exactly. And so I was like, I found an Easter egg. You know, And I was a web designer. I'm like, I'm so good. I'm probably the only one who ever found this. And so it I says. I think you might be. <laughs> So it says, you know, if you want to see his latest work or be emailed with his latest work, sign up for his newsletter and you can email him here. And I had an email address. Only only if you really want it. And I'm thinking like he has like an assistant, like we all have assistants, right? You know, like I'm thinking he has like an organization (laughs) around him. So I don't know. I'm emailing and 10 minutes later he emails me back. He's like, hey, Sadie, you're the one who's ever found this. (laughs) (laughs) Sincerely yours, the Grimaldi Foundation. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's just Mike. Thanks from the team. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hi, Michael. I was like, totally hey, embarrassed. <laughs> well, send me anything here you got. I'm, just, I'm, I'm stalking you. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's so great. Mike's gonna be bombarded by people. Now everybody's gonna be going there looking for his stuff. He's gonna have well, to this, take down this the Easter This was egg. years ago. I mean, it's already 2015. This was probably 10 years ago or something. So his site hasn't been updated. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's the same. It's the unmade bed. While you were doing this and 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 studying, were you developing, you know, heroes like? Uh, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I I had a bulletin board. I started reading the art magazines and realizing an American Art Collector and Artist Magazine and back when American Artist was around and realizing that there was all these people and finding people online and printing things out and putting them up. So I, I found Lip King and. And Richard Schmidt, and started realizing there was sort of this loosely connected universe. But I, I was still really mostly drawn to the classical realists. Yeah. But there was so much out there because I was so shut down and not an artist for so long, or trying to not be an artist for so long. It would make me feel bad to see what other people were looking at. So I, I mean, I was working on the internet and not looking at art on the internet for years and years and years. I, I didn't look. I mean, I would look at art in museums, but I didn't know any contemporary painters. I had no. This whole universe had grown up like mushrooms in a forest for me and I was like what are all you people doing out here I had no idea this was well, going on didn't you on. start to bump into people in San Francisco around then too I discovered John Penn's gallery through right. Baca she told me about that and all and then I started seeing you know Kate Lehman's work and Sarah Lamb's work and and so your whole constellation became mm. like I want to be friends with you. so like you know 10 years later I'm coming out and, and like stalking you in person <laughs> You know, and I just studied those paintings. I mean, I just remember seeing this little glow of red light coming through a chunk of meat that Sarah Lamb had painted and this knife on a on a cutting board and and of course Jacobs he's got big workspace, he's got a lot of small studies and drawings and they have that back room of all the drawings. Oh yeah. At John at John Penn's. Yeah. 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 And so that that still resonates with me, and I, you know, it just felt like, okay, there's people doing it's so this. fun to go and, in there and yeah, go through that. Is, and you were in San Francisco, and John is really for a long time. John Penn's gallery was like, you know, like the center of the like on the west yeah. on the west coast yeah. for that. Yeah, and you were right down the yeah. street. Yeah, and he's like the guy on right. the whole West Coast. Right, right. So that's that's that was just an amazing resource. Once yeah. I realized it was there, I mean, I'd given up going to galleries years yeah. ago. It's you just walk in, just, who knows what you're gonna see, you know. So he kicked off many a career of yeah. like successful, My awesome career. mind, yeah. like you know, like yeah. successful, really awesome, yeah. you know, great painter. And that was really the way to to launch your career and be have yeah. a career. So at that point, now that you're, when did it get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not studying anymore. I'm going to start making my stuff, my paintings. Well, I had done like the painting a day thing where you do a little sketch every day. And I, and I'd always been doing my own still lifes, mostly lack of space and not hiring models because I was mostly doing the models in, in, um, in the classes and spending a lot of money on the classes at home. I would practice things in, in still life. And so, um, 
at that point, the the classical, and I was mostly doing classical figure drawing. I did worked with Ted Seth Jacobs when he was out in California f- for a few months, and um, and Grimaldi and Dan Thompson and and Juliet and just um, mostly working just on. I didn't do a lot of painting classes, mostly just figure drawing because I felt like that was really the key to. Every, I still think that's the mm-hmm. key to everything, and so um, I would go back and I would work on still life, but trying to uh, uh, um, set up complicated still lifes that would exercise that. So I figured drapery was natural and complicated enough that it could help me start to research organic form, almost like a model, you know, not as much, but that was the most complicated thing I could come come up with, and branches and things like that. And so, um, and so, and then I had taken this um, three years before I'd taken that class about how to prepare a traditional panel right. and how to how to do that. So I finally stopped doing these one-day pa- sketches and these three-day sketches, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to that, take that technique, take all this figure drawing I've been doing for the last two years, and I'm just going to see if I put no time limit at all on a still life and set up something that is complicated with, like, something crumpled or drapery or something. Um, I'm just going to see how far I can take it. And I just suddenly felt like I'd given myself permission to do what I really wanted to do. I was like, I get to spend forever on this. (laughs) And, you know, there's no reason to rush. So I just, it was like 60-hour painting of actual easel time, which is like by far the longest I'd ever spent on anything. And that's the first time you were sort of allocating that much time to... I was working in the studio every day, but that was the first time I'd allocated that much time to a project. Did you have a plan for these projects? Like, did you have an idea that you were going to send them to a gallery or... No. I hadn't... I knew that that in order to be able to even think about submitting to a gallery, you had to have a body of work that looked similar. Oh, so you were trying to build up a body of work. I knew that I had to eventually start going uh, toward the direction of a body of work, but like everybody has a crisis like what's going to be my next body of work like that freaks me out now much yeah. less mm-hmm. before I'd ever yeah. done anything you know that ever got in a gallery at all um, so I so my first two paintings of what became a professional series that I ended up showing was Wax Paper 1 and Wax Paper 2 because I thought they were going to be two paintings and then I just was really enjoying it so I just kept making more and more and mm-hmm. more meanwhile I'd been recording all of my education on my blog and all of my self experiments on my blog and posting all these paintings on the on my blog and so um maggie of m gallery in in florida was emailing me technical questions as sort of like a student of like okay i'm trying to follow along with your process and then she said well i own a gallery do you want a solo show and i was like well yeah (laughs) (laughs) sure she she uh she was incredibly kind and generous (laughs) to me i mean i'd never shown anywhere um and and um, I spent six months and made six or seven paintings for her because it takes me six months to make six or seven paintings. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm sure, well, you take the <laughs> <laughs> It can take a little longer than yeah. that, even. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm insecure about that already. Oh, are you? Oh, no, no that was really. a compliment. <laughs> no, 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 I'm like, screw it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> got to make it right. I, I, I brag about how long. I was like, the longer, the better. Yeah, yeah, it's- but I only count actual easel time, like actual brush to easel time. Like sometimes I think people say, like, yeah, I worked in the studio twelve hours today. I'm like, I think maybe you were painting for six, and yeah. I say I painted for six hours that day. Otherwise, but don't you find that like looking at the painting? I, I mean, it is. It is. I, I'm finding. But you know, what? I did billable hours for years. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. so I think in very like, what can I justify to the client? <laughs> were you still doing billable hours during that period while I, you were studying? I, you were I, simultaneously like working and studying. Yeah, so I, I tapered down slowly, um, freelance and contract work as a graphic designer. Um, I didn't mind going into debt and investing for a couple of years because I had been going to get an MFA, mm-hmm. and and it certainly wasn't that expensive, right. just yeah. to, to, you know, and so I just considered it. Um, like finally I get to do what I get to do. So for that two year period, you just cut yourself off from working. You were, you were done. I tapered it. I tapered it down. The only way I could stop completely is I started getting emails from people wanting me to teach Mm -hmm. at my, at my house or something. I just worked at my house. So I ran a class for five people in my living room and I had one cast and we all drew one cast. (laughs) I taught them blocking. Was that, was that, um, intimidating to all of a sudden say, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to start doing the workshops that I took. Not that long I ago. I was surprised that people were asking me to, because yeah. I'm like, look, guys, you can see that I'm just a student, but because um, <laughs> I'm documenting Read the, the blog. whole yeah. <laughs> but uh, And that's how they're finding me. They're finding right. me through the blog. But um, but I've always just liked to teach. I was always, you know, uh, like when I was a senior graphic designer, I was always teaching junior graphic designers, and it comes pretty naturally to me. When did you start the, did you start the video tutorials before your own atelier? No, just the videos came after that. Oh, so yeah. you start. So then, at that point, you were like, "Let me just start my own school." Right. So as soon as I started, as soon as I taught uh, a class of five people, I realized I could afford uh, to rent a studio and run classes out of it. So I had a five hundred square foot studio, and I had a little still life corner. That was my still life corner with like signs all over it, like "Don't bump the table," yeah. "Don't breathe on the wax Don't paper," "Don't breathe on the wax paper." <laughs> That's all like actually pretty secure. It's taped and glued down. Um, but. I had catastrophes. I had a model that stuck out. So I had a model went stand up and knock the shelf yeah. and, oh. a, and a seashell just rolled off and crashed yeah. on the floor. So things like that started. <laughs> Tony had one of I've those. I had a bunch of those. Well, still life is not still. Yeah, like as soon never. as you expect a still life to be still, you're going to be heartbroken. No, it's impossible. Like, you're chasing it. Like, just right. really slowly. Right. You're always right. chasing right. it. So I always take a photo to start just in case there is a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> For reference. That's my next question. Yeah. Don't you still don't draw no, from photos? I don't. She kept, kept it real. And here's where we get into a really big fight. <laughs> No, no, not among no. you guys, but like this is where the bring it. Well, it is. It's becomes, always a contentious becomes, argument. It's yeah. a huge contentious yeah. argument, and basically, what it comes down to me is just um, I, you just got to do what you enjoy doing. Yeah. And I just my eyes feel thirsty when I'm looking at a photo. I feel like there's just not enough information there, and I feel like my eyes are just craving more information. And then I also feel like working from life inadvertently taught me so much about edges because you see from two slightly different perspectives and you have peripheral vision and all of that things makes some things in focus and some things not in focus. And so trying to make an extremely realistic still life made me sit there and go, okay, why does my painting not give me the same feeling as the feeling I got when I first saw this still life? And what can I do like on every single millimeter of this painting to try and capture that feeling and i realized a lot of the problem was edge issues that we really don't see the crisp edges we think we see and so um i didn't ever have anybody talk to me about edges but just trying to get my painting to look like what i wanted to look like you just end up having to deal with but isn't that that, that's a big photo like photos have like soft edges edges and hard edges don't they right but um but it can you know this can be in focus 
if, if things are too too very far apart from each other in mm-hmm. depth of field, right. they're both uh, ones in focus and ones not. Right. But if two things are in the same plane, uh-huh. you have the thing that you're looking at and the thing that your peripheral vision is right. looking at. The thing that your peripheral vision is looking at is only in focus when you look at it. Mm-hmm. And so I do a lot of focus control in my paintings. Mm-hmm. And you might not see it as much. Um, I think it translates to some level, but you might not see it as much on the Internet in a small picture. But um, you're... I'm trying to make you look where I'm interested in looking. Yeah. One of the things about working from light that life that I've noticed, especially even recently, is that the changes, whether you're working from natural light or artificial light, the changes that happen, when you incorporate them into the painting, they make them, it makes the painting more real. Yeah. The idea that there might be something going on in the room. Right. Um, you know, whether the the mood that you're in right. that day that exactly. might, you might see something a little bit different exactly. when you're working from natural light and you know not that you necessarily want to ch- uh, uh, this is tech talk with Tony but like <laughs> the idea that you don't necessarily want to chase the light like chase the day right right but those changes I feel add a little bit of vibration to the painting so the idea of working from light is seeing the vibrations in life where in 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 a photograph. It's just, it's flat. And it's a snapshot. And it's, it's a snapshot for that moment. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not going to, I mean, a lot of my favorite living painters today are working from photographs. Right. They're doing, I and mean, they Dan, do amazing Daniel Sprick is amazing. I mean, they're doing amazing, amazing stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, I don't think people, uh, uh, so sometimes when we get in this conversation, especially on the internet where everything gets so polarized, it's like, Sadie is against working from yeah, photos. Yeah, and yeah. I have like friends come up to me and go, well, I, like, I feel bad true. to admit to you that I work from photos sometimes. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, right. you know, it's um, totally cool. It's just that this, th- this is the way do. what I want to yeah, do. And, I like, I do but... and also because I did billable hours as a graphic designer for so long, I, the luxury of time for me is huge. And so for getting to look at something for a very, very long time, and, um, and Plus, you can charge more because you bill all those hours. Right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> my, that's the next episode let's, again. Let's hang my, you know, 11 by 14, six-week painting yeah. next to somebody else's 11 by 14, three-day painting yeah. and have the gallery owner wonder why I want to charge double when I actually think I want to charge 10 times as much. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that's a, a double. You, you're you, still paying yourself, like, yeah. minimum wage. You seriously. say it jokingly, but that's actually something you know you know when one may be spending hours and hours and days and months on something i stopped showing i haven't shown in two years i just i i moved a lot of work at prices i couldn't afford to let it go at but because i was just so excited to be showing and selling and sort of like in the big leagues or whatever and then suddenly i realized you know i'd really rather my family have these paintings than selling them for what i'm selling them for i mean i haven't I haven't made that little per hour since... I make less per hour selling my indirect paintings than I made when I was 22 and a graphic designer, a junior graphic designer. You know, it's interesting because I, I um, you know, I've been doing... I don't know if you've seen, but I've been doing these a la prima sketches yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. And that's been really exciting to sort of just go back to that. And, like, it's, nice. it's, it's really fun. Um, and then I did a little art sale online a couple of weeks ago where I was like, well, I have all these sketches and, and I'll sell them, but I'm going to sell them for the prices I want to sell them. And if they don't sell, then they don't no sell. No big deal. No big deal. Um, well, I sold like eight of them. Selling eight of those paintings made me almost as much as I've sold selling 
every single thing I made in a year of indirect payment. Wow. wow. <laughs> and that's not a lot. I'm not saying I made a lot. But the point is. But the point like, is, yeah. like, like six, and I made all those paintings within six weeks. Right. So six so weeks great. of work made me almost the same. As, so you're going to chuck this whole indirect painting yeah, thing, Yeah, screw right? it. <laughs> what did the Flemish know? The problem is I just have to teach a lot to yeah. afford to do the indirect painting. Well, let me ask you this. Back to the, back to the school. Uh, is teaching and the, and, and the school, is that uh, getting in the way of, of, of painting? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really big problem. And I was actually... Uh, all last year was completely... I had no studio time. And so... Um, I don't have children, and I told my mom several years ago, you know, I'm not. There's many reasons I don't have children, and I don't, and I, and I love children, but I don't want my own children. But I was like, you know, right now, if I had children, it'd be like at least a year that I wouldn't paint. Like I know some people are really high energy, and they can play with a toddler all day and then paint at night. And I'm just not that mm. kind of person. <laughs> T- Ted, comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I can't. I never tried it. <laughs> what, what is indirect painting? Can you say? Oh, oh good, good. For the, idea. for the, yeah. yeah. Te- again, very the, long, the voice, slow. No, the voice yeah. of reason oh, to, to my right. Very extremely long, slow, tedious painting. So I'll spend three solid days on a drawing, and then I'll spend um, another three days on the first underpainting. I'll spend two solid weeks on the second underpainting, and then I'll spend another couple weeks on the color. So it easily, it usually takes me about six weeks to make a painting, and that's going to the studio five days a week. But you're also you're building to the final product, so you have a vision maybe oh, in yeah. mind, but it's uh, you don't get there in a straight path. You kind of tack towards it. Right. Yeah. So I'll work on on the size of my hand each day. So when I'm counting how many days I have left, I'm holding oh, my really? handprint. Over. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I also stopped showing. Because <laughs> I also stopped showing because I would commit to a show, and I would have, like, this month painting goes to that show, and this month painting goes to that show, and that month painting goes to that show. So I'd have these limited yeah. one month to make a painting, and so I would be going, okay, <coughs> this painting is going to take me handprint, handprint, so handprint, So you're handprint. not working on the whole picture. You're working on a very specific part for yep. a long time. Yep. And what's the other way that you? What, the what, other way direct, is make a painting, direct painting, direct painting, painting. which can take several days as well, or, or take a long time as well. But you basically you do an underpainting usually just in paint. You might transfer a drawing, but then you go right to color, and you'll see more visible brush strokes. You're laying down bigger chunks of color. It's looser. It's looser. Yeah. It it's can faster. Be. Yeah. The well, word loose is very loaded. We yeah. could have an entire yeah. podcast on the word loose. But we, yeah. <laughs> we have like five <laughs> upcoming podcasts. <laughs> but I guess in direct painting, the idea is that you're taking all the disciplines and throwing them all at the same yeah. time. You have right. to decide the value, yeah. the color, the all shape, the all, all in one stroke. And the strokes, every paint stroke that you put down is seen in the final painting. Whereas the tediousness of indirect painting is you're that I'll do two weeks of painting that nobody ever sees, it's all completely covered by the end. Right. But I'm doing it to prepare myself for the next layer. Are you doing underpaintings and stuff when you do the direct painting? You could. Sometimes a fast one. I'll yeah. spend 10 minutes on an underpainting. Or a drawing. Also, oil paint. you a, you're probably doing a drawing at least, right? Um, I have, but for these still life, uh, for these recent single session flower paintings, I'm just painting. I'm not doing a drawing. You're doing everything at the same, you're drawing, you're Picking the color, you're just it's you're like also taking advantage of the, the translucency of the paint. Juggling one, getting it to master in, it. And oh yeah, it on. In, in indirect, indirect painting. Yeah. I mean, that's a very important and fighting of it as it. well. Yeah. Sometimes you want to cover up. <laughs> yeah, you, in indirect painting, you paint so thin, and actually, 
Um, the, I still teach it in this really formal way of we do a completely black, white, and grayscale, completely opaque underpainting before we do color on top. In my own work, I've started um, shifting my underpainting towards the colors. So even though I'm mostly focused on grayscale and on black and white underpainting, um, I'm only rec- only in the, in the last couple of years able to think about color and value at the same mm-hmm. time. And I think it took me a long time. I used to have to get my values really solid and then think about color. Mm-hmm. And and it was a developmental process to suddenly start going, well, why am I painting this flat gray, which is going to look blue as soon as I put a warm color right. on top of it. it. I may as well start heading it over towards that orange at this point, you know, or heading it over to those um, hues at this point and save myself some extra layers. So you're doing an aboche? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm mo- slowly moving towards an aboche. Can you describe, and so generally that's, I was a about to say, is can a you, colored underpainting. Yeah, <laughs> describe an underpainting, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. just did. <laughs> I'm also doing a, a much looser. Yeah, let the guest, let the guest tell you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm also doing, you could say, a much looser underpainting. So instead of doing all the detail in the underpainting, I'll do uh, big gradations of color um, or, or, or value um, in the underpainting with much less detail. So kind of a broader, broader kind of exactly. access point. Exactly. And, then... and it feels like a really natural evolution. You know, I start by, I mean, I, when you're painting, you're basically just trying to figure something out, right? And the more you figure things out, the more information you have for the next painting. So slowly over time, every painting is starting to head towards efficiency, even though efficiency is never my goal. Hmm. I'm not trying to make paintings quickly. But I also don't want to repaint the same thing over and over again. Sometimes you do that with with indirect painting. Now, while you're doing that, are you researching materials and techniques and all that stuff like on the Internet? I am... um, Rational Painting was a huge resource for a long time. That's, that's Great in Parishes. That's Great in Parishes website, and and I don't even know if it's still up. It's been we kind of moved it over to Facebook, but then yeah. it became Classical Lab. Something else. Right. Classical the problem lab. on Facebook is that like, you used to be able to go in and type in walnut oil over in Rational Painting and yeah. see all these threads yeah. and discussions really about interesting. one yeah. thing. So it was a really great archive of stuff like that. Um, I remember, see, that's how I first saw your stuff is through rational painting oh that's interesting i think, I think graydon introduced wow. music though. oh that's really cool yeah. i remember that's meeting awesome. you up in the catskills yes <laughs> oh my god that first day that sounds like a story that's for the next episode <laughs> well i'm actually kind of glad that you're a little bit under the weather or laid out right now because uh, the first day of hudson river fellowship i'm like i've been like Walking the hills of San Francisco to try and prepare myself for hiking in the woods. I, I should... used to I used to run before I would go there. Like I would spend you know a few weeks just getting my mile time down to like under six minutes, and then I was like, all right, I'm good enough for the. Okay, you know, well, I, I, you, you did way lun- more than me because you got to do lunges. <laughs> we showed up the first day, and we're like, okay, we're going to the top of Artist Rock to paint today, and it's like. A, and I'm like, I'm not going to be like the old lady of the group. I'm not going to be the old lady of the group. <laughs> and I've never done plein air painting, so I have like satchels slung over both arms. Like I don't have a backpack. And I'm, I'm like a mess. And so I'm, I'm like hopping and popping and going like, and then Ted and a couple other people are like running straight up the hill. And I was I'm just going, trying to show off. I got there and I like threw up a little bit. Really? Okay, so this is this is a really. I did actually fall on the way down. Not oh, did that you? One time, but it was oh. by myself, and I actually fell. <laughs> well, at the top of that, there's this that. like big crevice that you have to actually climb up a little yeah, bit. Like, it's it's not yeah. actually as hard as it looks yeah. from the bottom. Like once I was looking down from the top, I was like, oh, I could have done that. So everybody's like 
like rock climbing. And yeah. my roommate Emily Lee. That was exactly where I yeah. fell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of a weird like. It like was yeah. Twelve foot crevice. <laughs> and so Emily Lee is bouldering because she's a bouldering. She's a rock climber. She was a pro climber. So she's like spring, but I didn't like know that. Ringer. I met her that morning, you know. <laughs> so she's springing up. You're everybody's running up. Oh, you guys and had RISD on Tom too. <laughs> yes, we did. We found that out the first day. Ten years apart, exactly the same graduation day. Um, and so. If one of you says, um, if, some, if one of you doesn't really want to go up this way, there's another way that's a walk around the back. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll take the walk around the back. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like the old lady. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> so Travis Sweat yeah. says, okay, I'll walk you. I'm thinking it's like a five-minute walk around the back. It's like a 20-minute walk yeah. through the woods with Travis, who doesn't talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, Travis talks. Okay, well, he not just, to me. Gotta, yeah. not, not to the, like, to the slow get to lady know at the back no, of the no. group that everybody's like, it's oh, not that. who's it's, this lady coming get... along? So I, I, I'm like plugging along behind him. I'm like feeling like... And Travis is like seven feet tall. idiot. Such, and he's like waiting for me to <laughs> he was a He was an NCAA basketball player, okay. so he's in great yeah, he's like shape. the best yeah. athlete. Yeah, yeah. Of exactly. All of us. So exactly. you have Travis who are your and I'm like yeah. anybody would be inti- intimidated and I've by both of those. I've never been planner painting. I've That's never painted hilarious. outside. Hilarious. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so I'm meandering up the back, and so we got all set up, and I've never set up before, so it takes me like 45 minutes, you know, <laughs> and, I, and everyone just spreads off and goes into different areas and nobody's like in a group and so I'm just like or they're looking out over that vista but I didn't know how to paint that because I never I was like we didn't do all those little tiny trees yes you do all those little tiny trees but I didn't know that the first day so I go back into the woods and like I'm going to do like a stump or a rock or something get all set up there's huge rolling thunder clouds like huge booming thunder and somebody who's like 100 feet away from me goes I heard that last year it always means there's a downpour coming it always means there's a downpour coming and they're like we gotta back up so I've been painting for like Just 10 minutes. There. Oh. and so I pack everything back up yeah, it's which a takes dicey me. place for lightning <laughs> So I'm not that outdoorsy. I just want to go hang out with all the cool Jacob Collins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a fantastic time. I, I literally like called my husband, and I'm I was like, I back. feel like a kid at camp. I want to go home. Nobody <laughs> likes me. <laughs> you didn't think that. I was like no. 40. <laughs> like, come pick me up. <laughs> oh, and my and my in-laws had lent me their car very generously. They live in they live outside of Philly, so I'd driven up. Well, they're extra cars. They're Cadillac. So I'm driving this huge black Cadillac. <laughs> I wish you, I wish you lived in New York. Hey, I have a question. Um, you co-founded uh, a, a site called Women Painting Women. Yeah. Um, so this is back in about '09, and there was um, I had started talking to some other women artists on Facebook because I started. Well, I started wanting to go back to doing what I had done, which was hire my own models and and paint figures and I sort of it was immediately coming up to the question like do I paint them nude do I paint them clothed do I pick um, models that are traditionally American standard beautiful or do I go with you know something more interesting or whatever like what kind of person do I want to paint Um, do I want to paint women do I want to paint men just sort of starting to think about all that and sort of immediately coming up against this quandary of you know I'm 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 liberal i'm living in the what is it now the 21st century (laughs) and and um and i love 19th century painting but i'm not gonna put a moriso sit draped on a couch you know like i like i just 
like how would I handle that? Like I love so many paintings, and I want to make them, but um, uh, women's role in society is totally different then, and how do I show a woman who's like one of my friends, like a contemporary, mm-hmm. and and how do I not objectify her? And I mean, I like to paint a beautiful woman as much as anybody else. Like, you know, you get really into it. I mean, women are gorgeous, right? And so, <laughs> you know, you can get really, <laughs> yes, they are. You know, and I've been drawing and painting both women and men since I was 15 in, in nude life drawing classes. And I have an appreciation for wide range of human beings, you know, but, you know, it's fun to paint pretty girls, you know? (laughs) And so, um, I was just sort of coming up against this sort of quandary. And then I was like, well, okay, there's so many people painting realistically now. There must be other women who are my age and, and, um, who I'm not a lot of people like the word feminists and, um, but you know, who think of women in a different way than men in the 19th century thought about women. Mm -hmm. And so how are other people handling this? So I just started looking around on the internet and sort of collecting images from almost any woman painting that I could find. Um, my first painting was Kate Lehman's, uh, a portrait that she did that I had seen in Pence, um, of a woman very centered and, and holding a coat. Portrait of an artist. Yes, exactly. And I just loved that painting and it just, it felt like, it felt like somebody I would know and be friends with and like a, a, a woman it was I someone could she knew to. and was friends with yeah. a right. photographer right I think and anybody in their right mind would be insane to not love that painting it's it's an incredible painting yeah, that was the amazing. inaugural post on the blog but it was just one of the first paintings I'd saved so I had and uh, you know I when I first discovered classical realism I thought there were like six painters you know and then I found out there were more and then I found ARC and realized that there was a few hundred and then I realized there's a lot more so ARC is um, art renewal exactly uh, uh, center and they put out an annual catalog of their of their contest and you kind of get a an overview of a lot of people who are painting realistically and so I started to be aware that there were more people out there painting but I I, I knew of about 25 women artists who were um, figurative and, and classical and realistic. Not necessarily classical, but realistic. Mm-hmm. And so I had sort of this folder on my desktop as I was thinking about this. And the range is huge. You know, some some women paint, um, you know, a, a whole range, something that would be appropriate for a modern, sexual, sexually attractive woman. And some women, uh, you know, and then you have uh, Rose Frameth Fraser. <laughs> so I hear her name yeah. wrong. I know her. She's a friend of mine, but I don't know her that same. See, I'm really bad with names. She's bad with names. You know, and she's painting, um, some of her paintings are hermaphrodites, you know, like a huge range of, of depictions of women. And so um, I, I wasn't necessarily saying like, oh, they have it figured out. It was right. like, wow, everybody's just, some people are thinking about it. Some people maybe are not too worried about it, but you know, everybody's just trying to figure it out and having conversations with my friends, other female painters online, like, you know, what do we do? Do we just paint in a way, you know, I don't know how to make an image of a woman that is either like, how do you, how do you not have someone evaluate the sexual availability of your model? Like, how do you either sidestep that or embrace it or acknowledge it? Like, I just didn't want to be, ignorant of it so were you did it seem like there was a problem that in the in the world of like realism or art that um well, how th- women were depicted to you or I was it or was it just like i'm just interested was in it this. a reaction to this historical yeah. not a reaction to the historical because i think they were painting the way they felt about women in their time but i think we have a responsibility to not 
see women now the way a 19th century male saw a woman. I mean, like, I hope we've grown up a little bit, you know? Um, But not necessarily a reaction to it, but just sort of, um, is there a way to make a painting? How do you make a painting that's outside the the tradition of art history? I don't, when you're working within the tradition of art history, I mean, that's a really big conundrum. And I think we deal with it not just in terms of sexism and painting women, but in painting anything we paint. Like, how do you paint even, like, fruit on a shelf without looking like you're trying to be somebody from the past? You know, how do you paint... How do you not emulate, like, exactly just reproduce what you've seen, but... Yeah, and, and but also show that you're by, informed but, of it right. and that you have studied it and that you have appreciation for right. it, but how do you paint like an apple that is today's apple on a yeah. shelf. But also say, I mean, were you in also trying to say a statement about, you know, what's going, you know, what's how women are depicted now? Like, no more than I'm saying a statement with my still lifes. I mean, there's something okay. that is contemporary about my still life. I don't like that word, but like something, I don't think, even though they use traditional methods, I think someone looking at them who knew art history wouldn't think that they were done in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, um, so, but I'm not necessarily going, I'm going to make a statement by using mm-hmm. modern materials. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not that really conscious of it necessarily. Yeah. I just paint what I like to see. Mm-hmm. But the human figure just obviously is so loaded and has a lot of Anyway, this is a really long story, but... <laughs> but it's important. It's, I think, it's, yeah, it's, 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 one of the things I was wondering, is when, when I saw that you... When you're doing your research, do you feel like there's enough women in the No, world? there's not. And and we've... I've had a lot of conversations with people about that. Um, it's similar to every other industry, but it's probably even more extreme in, mm-hmm. in the art world or probably similar to tech or something like that. And so there's something it's not just like the galleries aren't accepting women it's not something simple like oh they're just all having babies because plenty of the women who have babies are painting you Mm -hmm. know and so um it's not i don't think we've figured out yet what the problems but you can't argue that women are um you know there's like I think in modernist galleries, it's like 7% are women. I think wow, in. Wow, that's it, really? I think in realist galleries, it's lower. Wow. Lower than 7%? Yeah. Wow. I, think so. I haven't done it. And do you math, think that the. I have friends the, doing the math. I should ask them the numbers. But. I know this is a hard thing to do, but do you think the pricing. There's a discrepancy I, between the pricing? You know, that's really... I have so many issues with the pricing of painting with other issues. With, in general, so <laughs> it's know, hard to it, say. Like, yeah. I feel way I, I more oppressed as an indirect painter <laughs> than as a woman. Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to go fight the, like, liberate indirect <laughs> painting. As a woman. <laughs> Is under, there a bra to burn for that? <laughs> in the summertime. Like, all these, like, but I, I have heard women say, you know, it, it's sort of common lore among women that the gallerists... It, Stories get passed around. Like a gallerist will say, "Well, we really can't charge that for you because once they find out you're a woman, people just won't pay no, that." Really? Much. really? Are you guys You've really heard... shocked by that story? Yes, that's just sad. I, I think I'm actually. just ignorant, you know. To and it. it could be that people have been saying that but out loud twenty that? years ago. They might not be saying that out loud now, but yeah. But, oh, I think it's a pretty well-known fact that people will pay less for a painting done by a woman, and the gallery feels like they're following the pricing that the customers are setting, not really? them. So yeah. they're just responding. They're they're victims in this too. Right? I don't, <laughs> well, I don't really. <laughs> they get a pay. Hey, I'm in here with you. I blame society. Yeah. It's not my fault. I mean, we're all victims of it. I mean, we all live within a, an oppressive <laughs> class society and oppressive. But no, well, but you know, it's similar to the photography <laughs> issue in that, like online, and I've talked about a lot of these things online with a lot of people. 
the conversation gets so polarized. Yeah. And so part of the thing that is nice to actually have a conversation, like, you know, talking to people in a room is that, you know, I think sometimes I get worried that I come across as like the, this is my own insecurity, but like the crazy feminist who never works from photos and thinks everybody who works from photos is horrible and thinks all men are horrible. You know, like it thinks it's so <laughs> Right, polarized. like you're a fundamentalist. Yeah, yeah like I'm a fundamentalist anti-photography and I'm a fundamentalist feminist or something. And I, I don't know. It's just yeah, but like everything. Funny, but fuck those people. Yeah, but everything <laughs> you said. It, it, like, well, the backlash you get though is from the people who do react to that. But because they're, so. they're reading out of, possibly out of context. Yeah. They or might be emotional. Threatened by it. Or that. Or, or people who hear the word feminism and get like really riled up and want to argue about it. Like, Come talk to me. You know, like, well, the people that I hear from are the more yeah. extreme. Because they're like, oh, do you? What it always comes down to this conversation online, it always comes down to a man saying, What are you saying? There should be a rule that men should not be allowed to paint women in the way that is interesting to them. Like, are you trying to legislate? Yeah. And I don't, and I'm like, Wow, you just made that up completely out of thin air. And I have no <laughs> idea where that comes from. You know, I'm going to pass a law. You know, like, I'm going to use my great power as a tiny little atelier instructor <laughs> yeah. to like make sure nobody ever does yeah. a painting that, you know. you know, and I, I've even had male painter friends of me come to me and say, like, what do you think of this painting? Is this painting sexist? Like, because I wouldn't want to do anything You're sexist. Like, what? You know, what? I'm, like, I'm not like the sexist police. You're you the arbiter of all that is sexist. Yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong about this, but in a way that's comforting because at least they're trying to be aware oh, of no, it. Oh, no, no, no. I, it's, I mean? it's always like my, my sweetest male painter friends who are like, Sadie, don't think I'm going to jerk. I'm like, I don't, obviously. I mean, we're all just trying to do the best we can. Has anybody actually shown you one that you're like, yeah, that's really sexist? <laughs> no, because the kind of guy who comes up, the kind of guy who's was, friends with me who comes up to me and asks, I'm like, he's like, because you know she is kind of wearing something slightly transparent and I'm like the skin looks amazing though. Yeah. and you did this like amazing filmy yeah. material on top of skin this is incredible I love, like, love it you just start nerding out <laughs> oh I'm totally like, it's so well how painted. did you get that hair exactly just don't get me started on like Balthus you know but Balthus yeah. is not coming up to me going Sandy do you think my paintings are sexist <laughs> it went fast and yeah. I also feel like we just hit the tip of the iceberg I know so many yeah you have to come too. back well we had like four like we gotta come back and talk just, about but I'm sure it's like, it's always like that. In fact, anytime any of your podcast ends, I'm like, wait, that's it? There was so much well, more. One of the things about podcasts that I've gotten and why I don't care about like the two hour thing is that most of the people who I think are listening to the podcast are probably doing it while they're painting. We are. Yeah. And we are. we're usually painting, right. you know, uh, in for hours. Right. So it's like two hours is nothing right. to us. It's and like, oh, what am I going to listen to now? We're listening to it in class and, and my, my students all listen to, to you guys in class while they paint. And so three hours every morning, if they don't, if it overlaps, if they don't finish it, they're just starting at the next morning. Morning, yeah. You know, so yeah. so there. You know, I if don't anything, know. we've actually have gotten. It's emails. just more work for you. <laughs> this one hasn't been bad. This, this one. Uh, this so you say yes. Oh, so great. You say. Thank you, Chase. Thank you. Taking copious notes on what to cut. Well, my husband shows me like, oh no. What a relief. But we actually do get a lot of. I do. We get emails where people are like, more. We need more. Yeah. So so okay. let it go. But right. anyway, did yeah, you have fun? It's, it's, I did. I had a great time. In fact, like <laughs> Are we fun? Guys? I don't want to stop. <laughs> I feel like every single conversation I was like I had all these things lined up in my set of, in my head about <laughs> more to say about that yeah. subject and then we were like, okay. Well, what do you want to say? I mean, yeah. if you have something you want to say, I'll be careful what you if have only, to say. If only if we, I can't uh, believe we didn't even talk about teaching. We didn't even talk well, about I'm that. I'm about to start. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, well, I also I think another another biggest thing about teaching is that 
in order for me to understand what I'm doing, I actually have, even though, even if it's a visual nonverbal process, I have to verbally articulate it to myself. So I'm, and, and so that's why I take a lot of notes. My journaling was a blog, and that's why I was just doing it for my own note-taking. And so writing down what I learned that day is the way that I help myself understand what I'm studying. And so I was just sort of being the, the best kind of student I could be because I was just so hungry to learn it all. Mm. I haven't always been like that as a student in everything I take, but I was just so desperate for the information. So part of it is that I ha- by the time I articulate it to myself, by the time I understand it, I've articulated it to myself, and I'm almost really excited to turn around and teach it to someone. So when Juliet taught me straight line blocking, and in a one-week pose, I had done the first proportional figure drawing I'd ever done in my life that I was like, this looks like a person. (laughs) Like nobody's saying like, well, that's okay that the leg is stunted and won't fit on the paper because (laughs) let's just explore that idea. You know, like nobody's saying that. It's like, no, let's get it right. Um, Explore the idea. (laughs) You don't laugh. I know. I heard heard so much of that. Yeah, um, I literally the next week, you know, my dad was taking these art classes for the first time in his retirement. And I was like, oh, I just learned the most amazing thing better than anything I've ever learned in any of my other classes. I want to teach you straight line block and come over to my house and I'm going to teach this to you. And he's like, okay, sure. I'll hang out with my daughter or whatever <laughs> she wants me to do. And so we scheduled four Thursdays and he came over to my house four Thursdays and we did charcoal drawings of my winged victory. And I taught him straight line block in and the fundamentals of shading, finding the terminator, simplifying the shadows, filling in the shadows, all one even tone, which was a that was just as mind-blowing to me as straight line blocking and he was so thrilled because in the end we took a picture of both of them and I put them up on my blog and our friends and family didn't know who had done which drawing so he was so proud of himself (laughs) because he's always been envious of me that I got to draw and be an artist (laughs) so do you feel like you can teach somebody how to draw who doesn't know how to draw oh yeah by just the logic of stuff the only thing that gets in the way is um if they think they can already draw and they can't um, because that can be a problem because it, it, it's very scary to, to peer into the abyss of what you don't know. And so taking a class in anything, I mean, I'm not signing up for math classes, right? I mean, like, that's scary. You know, so anybody who has shown up to a class has to be willing to go up to the edge of what they don't know and look really hard at what they don't know. And, and because art is so emotional and because we've been taught this whole myth about talent, it makes you feel like a bad person to come up very close to what you don't know about drawing. And so if you've been drawing a lot on your own and kind of felt like you've gotten to a pretty good level of ability, but you just kind of want some hints and you show up to study with me, I'm going to make you start with a line and a sphere and you're going to find out how hard a sphere is and you're going to come pretty quickly against the holes in your learning. And that's a really scary process so i have people um um fight me you know argue you know that resistance of when you're just not ready to go there and i've had people um quit and um and um but i have a lot of people go oh my you know just revelation like this is so exciting yeah so the ones who are um really exciting or they might be terrified but sort of pushing themselves to be brave and, and continue will go but it's almost the fact that we start with such simple things it's like i can't believe i'm freaking out about a sphere or an egg it's almost more embarrassing i think <laughs> like, i should be able to draw this it's such a simple thing it's like, such a hard thing to do. it's so hard to do and the only reason i can yeah, feel <laughs> any comfort with it is that like teaching the sphere over i paint a better sphere spheres now than i hard. did five years ago right because and i never would have painted that many spheres if 
if I wasn't teaching it. Yeah. Who takes sphere classes for five <laughs> years, right? <laughs> so now I have my assistants teaching it, and my assistants are like, I can't believe you taught this for five years. I've been doing it six months, and I'm so burnt out. You feel like you're like, getting a little rusty on your spheres now? Yeah, I'm going to have to polish it up or rewatch my video. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it's a very... Um, frightening process um and one of my another friend of mine who's who's an artist but is also good at math is like people feel the same way about math they think they're either good at math or they're not good at math whereas in other education systems it's like everybody can learn math to an acceptable point of view where they can use it in their everyday life with a level of comfort and not think of it as like a big scary thing i can't do and not you know and that should be possible for all of us i'm much more like you know Oh, don't ask me to do any math, <laughs> you know. And so we sort of had this idea in America that you're sort of born with talent for things or not, and you're just not going to get to be very yeah. good. So, um, so do you ever discourage uh, the idea of somebody who might be older, or or to come and study and wanting to learn how to draw possibly a little bit later in life? Or no, I, I really don't because um, I mean I know it doesn't sound very old, but I felt very old at 32, and um, I feel like the it wasn't available. Mm-hmm. when people wanted it. And so I teach um, whatever hours people can put in per week. I encourage them to at least come twice a week because it's hard to get much development. I think of yeah. it as like I train them that it's like learning to play the piano. If you only practiced on the one day you had piano lesson, you'd really never learn to play the piano. Um, and But basically, if somebody wants to learn to play the piano when they're 60, why not? Right, so if somebody wants to learn how to draw when they're sixty, why not? Um, there, you know, there's there can be limitations for all of us, but I feel like since it wasn't available to us, why just have a rule that you can't do it? Um, what is different is that um, people who are well, we might have to cut this out. I don't know. But <laughs> the the difference is is in the full time program in in in. Um, what is actually a scholarship program at my school. I've kept it as cheap as I possibly can. It's only $480 a month. And um, when at a certain point, many of them are offered the opportunity to do um, part-time teaching, assistant teaching, which completely offsets their tuition. The, the money, yeah. And so, um, and because they just need to be able to keep working yeah, and they yeah. all just get so, so overwhelmed financially that they drop out. Um, that's me making an investment and I don't make they're literally at I pay two dollars two dollars and fifty cents a square foot for the rent in my studio in my teaching studio what they pay me for a month doesn't cover that. their square footage of the spot they're taking up and so I I can't figure out uh, um, they, they just can't afford to pay what it would actually cost for that education. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to invest that in someone, because I'm investing an enormous amount of attention and energy and losing you know, rent on them, um, not to mention model time and all of that, um, they have to be in 100% student mode, which right. is not fighting me, not resistant, not racked with so much insecurity that they're threatening to quit every day Um, and not actually needing a ton of hand-holding because they're getting 10 billion times more than I ever got. any of us ever got. Any of us ever got, exactly. And so they have to be really self-driven and they have to be really sort of um, not needing me to push their education. That's a pretty important skill for artists to have anyway. I mean, like, if you're going to get out and have your own studio and do stuff, you're not going to have, like, a boss barking orders at you. And if you don't have those skills, you're probably not going to have your own studio and make your own paintings. And you're also not going to always have someone to turn to and say, like, 
I'm really frustrated because I'm not getting this out of my education from you. You know, like you're not going to have someone to turn around and ask questions to all the time. You kind of just have to paint and figure some stuff out. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of that as well. I mean, I, it's kind of, I, I'm in a weird position because I didn't do a full-time atelier program and I'm teaching one, which is probably strange, you know, but I'm doing the best I can. And if people feel like they can learn from it, they can, you know, um, but you know, there's, and any teacher you have will have gaps in their knowledge and holes, but you can't get everything from one person. So I expect them to be really self-motivated, really self-driven, really grabbing whatever resources they can get to help fuel their education. And I'm going to support them as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's just a really different demographic than somebody who says, I've always wanted to learn to draw, I have a whole entire career and a family behind me, and now is finally my chance to learn to draw. I'm not really necessarily going to try and yeah. show in galleries, but I would like to take this as far as I can and get as good as I can, and I will totally support that person as well. So whoever wants to learn this stuff is great. Yeah. yeah I'll support that. I also feel that's important because those people, even if they're not going to become professional artists, which most, most of them don't, but they start appreciating how hard it is they come in the door appreciating how hard it is if they don't they don't last with me very long but um it's true it's an important part of like telling the story of this kind of painting uh to a wider audience is having kind of people who have experienced it in some way and i feel like it's an obligation almost it's sort of like i mean um we've managed to collect some shreds of information it's almost an obligation to share if you have the ability to articulate it it's almost an obligation to share it to spread it as much as we can um and make it as available as possible so whether someone wants to come three hours a week or seven days a week and whether someone is in one phase of their life or a different phase of their life wherever they can can show up to do it i want to make it available to them yeah um the only it, some people you know then sometimes there's just personality issues you know yeah. sometimes people think they want to <laughs> think they want to be an artist but they don't you know think they want to be an art student yeah. but they really don't and so some people have to be explained that this isn't the right place for you. <laughs> <laughs> so can you give let's give a plug to your school in San Francisco yeah now please. that I just said I have to kick some people <laughs> no let's take all space that if you're listening to this you weren't kicked out <laughs> Well, actually, I make my website really clear. I mean, I think it's intimidating enough that people are knowing, they show up going, okay, I know I'm going to start with spheres. I know I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, My school is Sadie Valeri Atelier in San Francisco. And I also am putting almost all of my lessons on video. And so, um, and I'm just releasing a a la prima video this week as well. Do you sell those on the site? or Yeah, they're sold on the site. Um, most of them are digital download now. I have a DVD that shows me painting an entire painting um, from beginning to end. But it doesn't show the setup. I learned from that first critique. <laughs> I learned from that critique. It's got a little inside of the setup to the whole damn thing. Right. Nobody can complain. Um, but then the other videos are how to draw an egg, how to how to draw a sphere, how to paint a sphere, how to paint an egg, and not necessarily something that makes a great uh, DVD cover, like 
preparing an egg. <laughs> um, but it's really... It's so not sexy. I don't understand why you want to paint an they egg. They are. They're so sexy. I love my eggs. <laughs> People get really attached to them. Like, yeah. if you accidentally switch somebody's egg, they're like, that's you. not my egg. I did not paint that that's egg last week. It's amazing how you can get to know an egg. Oh, yeah. They're all different. Even <laughs> and you have the blog uh, link on your site, too. Yeah, the blog is right on the website. Um, you can go through the deep, dark archives. Sometimes I think that maybe I should take it all down, but people keep telling me. So people don't can do go that. back to that magical can, time yeah, in 2006? Yeah, yeah, the blog starts in early 06, and, and you can see my first notes from my first day with Julia Aristides with wow, my so drawing. That do you I ever look working. back at it? It's like a time capsule. It, yeah, I do. I'm really glad that I did it. But it, um, I, I, I don't really like to look back at it, and, and sometimes... I don't know. You know, it's hard to look at your old stuff and what you were writing. And <laughs> yeah. and then some things that I think remember as being really momentous are kind of boringly stated on the blog. Like, oh, so today I did this. I'm like, that was a life-changing thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it in the moment. That you know? one moment. <laughs> you should um, annotate. I know I should. Oh, that would be really cool. Because I need another project. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're not stretched out thin right now. What I do like to show is is that my paintings are very weak, but back in '06, and and you can see what I'm struggling with, and you can and my students can see that I'm struggling with the the same things that they're struggling with, or and or maybe that they've grown beyond or what they're struggling with now, and so it's embarrassing for me to have them up, but it's like but it's inspiring to a lot of people to see the progression and that it could be you know it could be relatively quick because i think people can do it yeah they can do it totally do it if they have the right attitude and they work really hard they can do it gj do you no, have, I a have no plug, Jay Brown. I have no plug. that was just tony that was what the best you? one i think yeah. that was do you have a plug? <laughs> i do i have two workshops uh this summer at the uh, water street atelier uh june 22nd to june 10th uh great and parish the great great and parish and i are going to be doing a, a duel Oh, a dual, a uh, color duel. A color duel. Is it Munzel? You use Munzel? Munzel? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Awesome. Like a duel with brushes, yeah, like fencing. That yeah. too. He'll oh. be pay- teaching. That would be first, cool. The first like week, Jerome yeah. Studio, naked with brushes, painting. I each have other, no problem with it. that. Uh, I just want to choose the color. <laughs> Um, so that's June 22nd to July 10th is a three-week uh, color workshop. And then I have a still life workshop that's just me teaching. It's the best still life workshop on the planet. I actually just talked to somebody July 13th who to signed 17th. up for it. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Sarah. I'll buy you a coffee. Um, and again, I encourage you to go. And if you are on the West Coast, you should go check out give, give, give the website one more time. One more time. It's SadieValeri.com, and um, I also have something new where people can come and just study with me for one week, two weeks, up to eight weeks full-time at their own station, because I have a lot of people who want to do it but can't move to San Francisco, and so they can come and they can start the the program from the beginning and get as far as they can, and then they can take all the videos home, and they can continue their studies at home and maybe come back the next year, and we're having a lot of people take advantage of that, actually. We have two, three people a month doing that. It's kind of more the model that you... I would have loved it. I would have, yeah. yeah. I, I would have. I, I basically have built what I wish was in San Francisco. Yeah, right. All those thirsty people right. for knowledge—the same that you know right. you so all, you, you were and probably and you and still, still are. I'm doing a cast drawing. Yeah. I'm, do, I'm doing a are. fully rendered cast drawing in the corner. I work very slowly was, on it. I was checking out your blog the other day. And I was like, <laughs> "This is good stuff." <laughs> <laughs> we're on the, we're constantly giving you know information. I think the one I was looking at is the Windex. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I was like, I never hitting, used Windex. We're hitting all the controversies <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. 
Well, go go on Sadie's blog to see what I'm talking about. So there, I made a little. That's great. Little yeah. Yeah. Gonna well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to even say what it was. Uh, yes. Anyway, Sadie, thank you so much for coming and spending two like over two hours with us. That's yeah. so great. God, that was so that was much so fun. fun. It went, that was great. Like that. And thanks to the Grand Central Grand Atelier, Central Atelier yeah. and Justine's thank office you for hosting Justine us. Office, it was yeah. so great to get a tour and see what you guys are doing here. It's an amazing space. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, so uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. For episode part two of Sadie Roller. Yeah, <laughs> of like eight. <laughs> All the questions that weren't answered will be answered in the next one. Have a good one, guys. We'll right, see you. Thanks. Bye. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. Thank you, Sadie. You are awesome.